things today just kind of digging through for Saturday morning no work today so have some time to see what is worth what and uh, might be worth picking up um, we'll let a few people roll in give me just a second so first topic of the day <coughs> uh, chain link so previous times uh, chain link was around this price um, we're talking about near the $20 level. Um, Chainlink first hit $20 um, back in uh, August of 2020. So it's been a full four years to sort of get back to where it was. Um, that was sort of like the happening year uh, for Chainlink where it ran up in 2020, like from around a buck 60 to about 20 bucks. Um, it proceeded to then kind of like pull back to about seven or eight dollars. Um, yeah, seven to eight dollar range twice, and then like took off during the bull market to about uh, 53 at the top. Um, Chainlink's one of those that ran during the halving year of 2020 and sort of marked uh, a big part of DeFi summer back then, uh, where quite a few things sort of ran for the summer and Chainlink sort of leading the pack into the bull market. Um, <clears throat> so it was kind of off cycle, uh, and topped out early in the bull market last time in 2021, May. Um, that was interesting because a lot of coins today or, I mean, or this season are doing the same thing. Um, quite a few things are already, have already run, um, notable names like Injective and Caspa and, um, a variety of others that are kind of like, um, sort of like uber pumped already and one of the things you have to be careful of there is that they may continue to run but they could definitely top out like Chainlink did early uh, like this year and they may not perform as well as you might think in the two years afterwards that's what sort of happened to Chainlink at that time so you have to kind of be careful with those things that have already run and I think right now I'm mostly focusing on charts that, um, you know, have had like deep pullbacks or haven't run quite yet. Because um, in a bull market, everything kind of runs. So uh, you want sort of the lowest risk, highest reward benefits there. So I'd mainly be careful about piling into stuff that has <clears throat> run too far, too high already into some kind of extreme under overvalued territory. So... Looking at Link um, now, um, the you know back in January twenty twenty one, Link went from um, and that was during the previous bull market uh, ran to 
um, all-time high from about 20 bucks in about 120 days. We, um, if we kind of like map that out to the current price action, um, 120 days puts us in like, um, I think like end of May. So that would theoretically be a 3x from here by end of May. Um, there has been some chain link uh, transferred from the like official chain link accounts to Binance. So there could be some definite selling pressure there. I think they do some uh, timed sales every so often. I don't know exactly when those sales were and do they correspond to dumps in the chain link uh, price action. But the best way to utilize that information is to say, okay, like there is going to be some selling pressure related to that, figure out how to take advantage of it. Um, I don't know exactly uh, how and when they sell. Like do they sell using some, um, you know, some sort of market maker that does it for them where they don't dump all at once? Do they let the price, you know, like, like how do they even do the actual selling? I'm not exactly sure. But they certainly don't take, you know, 12 million link or whatever was transferred and sell it all at once. That's just unlikely. So, um, you know, is that going to be negative for the price action right now or not? I have, really don't know. But I do know that um, we had kind of a consolidation of Chainlink under $17 and like the 12 to $17 range for about three to four months. And we've also like had volume in this range back in 2022, 2021. And therefore, like we've had plenty of uh, volume support in this area. And I think we've, having broken out of that, um, nominally, I think Chainlink is likely to run to about 21. It's about $18 right now. Uh, 21 is the next fib, and then 32 is the next fib after that. At 32, I'm a little bit suspicious about whether I should be selling some because um, the it's like a kind of a high resistance area. Um, it's had like numerous dumps in the past season at that level. Maybe it'll repeat that perhaps and drop down to 21 again, and maybe I'll have an opportunity to like maybe sell some at each of these levels, maybe 21 and 32 and buy some back a little bit lower. One thing you can be sure of with Chainlink is its volatility intra-month is extreme. So like within a month, you, you might see like a 30 or 40% change almost from any price that it's ever had. So the odds you'll be able to like pick up some lower. Um, if we get to about 32, the odds you're going to be able to pick up some lower than that is very high. And therefore, um, you know, you could argue for theoretically selling some right around 32. 131-ish, I think, is where the FIB is. <clears throat> so that's kind of a, a strategy. It depends on your tax situation or whatever, too. Does that create a capital gain for you or not or whatever might make a difference in what you decide. Um, the um, I, I would say, like, just generally, of course, like, covered this before. The fundamentals for Chainlink are dramatically more interesting this season than they were last season. Um quite a few bullish things happening. One is the Chainlink account is posting lots and lots of material, which is great for attention and retweets and whatever. Um, that is, a lot of it's tied to some of the new developments that have come out, uh, tying in like Paxos G real world assets with gold um, into the Chainlink CCIP system. Um, they've done some stuff with um, Circle. So now you have USDC native on the CCIP layer zero, essentially. 
So any chain that connects to CCIP can now have access to the price action of gold and the price action of, um, I'm sorry, the price stability of uh, USDC. Um, additional to that, um, they are releasing lots of stuff using the Chainlink build program. They're basically creating sort of like um, partnerships where they're able to train different um, dApps and whatever and have like training sessions online available to um, like code for these, you know, integrations with CCIP. And every time one of these um, dApps or whatever incorporate one of seven or eight products from Chainlink, <clears throat> what's happening is, is that they're announcing each of those things. They're doing a much, much better job with their comms. Um, I would say like, as far as I can tell, Chainlink now has better comms than pretty much any, any blockchain system that I've seen. Give me just a minute. Okay. Um, sorry about that. Um, so, um, yeah, overall in terms of, yeah, like, like comms and just uh, interaction with community and releasing lots of new information, um, Chainlink's done a good job. Another bullish thing is a lot of the, it's like random YouTube influencers are sort of pushing Chainlink again. And this always happens as the price starts to rise. People get excited and start, um, you know, uh, just like posting stuff about it. The YouTube videos so far, um, you know, like it seems like consensus price target, you know, runs around like $140 chain link, which is, you know, a pretty good distance from here, probably about a 9x still. And I think that's a that's kind of my target as well. I think 140-ish is like the rational target. Um, if we have like a full-on 2021 ETH run, which I don't know if that's possible, but if it did, then you'd be talking about like $250 level which would be pretty impressive um, in terms of percentage gains off the bottom. <clears throat> Is it actually possible to do that? I don't know. Um, it's not really clear like how much uh, selling by Chainlink themselves is going to impact some of the price action and whatnot. And um, they're spending a lot of that money to sort of like expand the ecosystem and do much bigger things, which I think they've done a great job with. So, you know, you might say like, well, is it just... I don't think it's like selling for Lambos. It's like more selling for, you know, more and more implementations of, um, you know, dApps and protocols and and chains into their system, and also some of the work they're doing with like Swift and DTCC and all that. So if the Swift and DTCC items materialize, obviously that'll make sort of like Chainlink the most one of the most important blockchain systems, or just like computer systems in the world, really. Um, so you get to that you know, hyper bullish, like <laughs> excitement, if either of those things materialize really, because they have both of those in the works, experimental projects with CCIP and with, um, um, I'm sorry, with DTCC and with Swift. So either one of those things really materialize, I think the coin moons. Um, and, um, you know, if, if like anything, the narrative alone will pump it. And I think just people's imaginations are already running wild as far as speculative multiples and like the speculative impact price-wise of all those kinds of partnerships. Um, yeah, I don't think anybody in crypto really has anything close. Um, and that's why I think um, it's becoming easier and easier to sort of shill Chainlink. That's, that's an important thing about a chain. Like, is it shillable <laughs> or a coin? Um, are there lots of interesting things to say about it, a lot of positive things? or not. And if there are tons of things you can say about it, well, that's usually a good sign. Like <laughs> if you have done reasonable amount of research, you're like, Hey, this is a, this is not a bullshit project. So I think even with the selling that Chainlink does, 
I think uh, some of that will get bought up. Um, <clears throat> you see this kind of stuff happen in stock markets and stuff all the time where people do like share dilutions and different things. And uh, that's fine so long as that money is being used for something useful. And, you know, there, there is actual um, achievements being sort of unlocked, so to speak, as far as using that money. And I think Chainlink's done a pretty good job of that. Um, you know, people, they were accused for a very long time of just being like, you know, dumping on users and not, you know, not actually releasing the shit that they're going to say they release in like really long timelines. And I think that kind of the reason for that is because Chainlink's systems that they're building are very difficult to build. Um, and the partnerships that you're talking about, like Swift and DTCC, that shit does not change overnight. These are, you know, trillions and trillions of money that move through those systems per day. And they're not going to come and like sign on to some blockchain thing just, just for fun. Um, they certainly don't need like, <laughs> like the, their systems work already, both Swift and DTCC. So to, to an extent, like they're, they're looking into the future, but there's no rush really. And they, they need tech that works perfectly. And, um, you know, I think Chainlink is working on some of those, those uh, targets. Um, there's also some things missing like privacy. And I think, you know, by buying um, the patents or IP for this Deco system, which is this privacy system, I think that's bullish for Chainlink um, if they can implement that properly. Because uh, many like real world financial transactions require privacy. Like, for example, if you go to the Starbucks, you don't want the guy at Starbucks to know your entire wallet history. That's already a, pro that's a problem with public blockchains. It's untenable and is completely useless for commercial applications. This is why you haven't seen in the last 10 years anything useful come out of blockchains in the general uh, real world space in terms of uh, spending your money. So Chainlink's noticed that problem is working on that. So, you know, that Deco is their privacy thing with some ZKs, or I'm not sure exactly how the tech works, but basically they um, brought in a guy that, you know, is, you know, working on that piece of the puzzle. And I think you can look at Chainlink as a complete operating system for the financial world, as opposed to sort of just a blockchain or security layer. And um, ultimately, uh, I think it's fair that either through narrative or through actual, you know, staking applications and whatnot, that link will um, eventually generate some gains for share, um, holders. Um, I think it's still like really cheap at the moment. Uh, now, like full disclosure, my bag is probably on average about twelve dollars, and so we're at about seventeen to eighteen now. Remember, I was talking about Chainlink like what a year and a half ago, and the thing was at the bottom of the bear market, and I was buying some at like five bucks. So the the you know if if you weren't around during the bear market well that's just you know tough tough luck to you guys <laughs> like but that that's something that you have to choose to do during bear markets and ignore whatever um else is going on and buy cheap so i bought some as low as five and i bought some as high as like 15 um and my average i think sits around 12 right now so but having said that like um you know, this 17 to $20 range, I think is still relatively cheap um, for the general target for Chainlink long term. If you ask simply like, what would be the next bear market target for Chainlink's price? Like once it pumps to, you know, God knows how high, how, how far is it going to dump? I think like a rational dumping zone for next bar, bear market might be somewhere between 20 and 50 bucks, something like that, maybe. 
Maybe it doesn't, maybe it breaks all time high for chain link at 53 and doesn't come down below that ever again. I don't know. Depends on how much shit materializes next bear market in terms of actual development and implementation. But, you know, I think like the current price is probably below what the future bear market price is going to be. And that I think is safe enough so far as assets are concerned. Um, and also, Chainlink had already between $5 and $10 had a consolidation period that lasted approximately, uh, I think, a year and a half or more. Plus, there was price action in 2020 at that, those levels as well, 2019. So, really, you have a gigantic volume floor for Chainlink. And I believe it's like some of its biggest volume floor is something along the neighborhood of $12. $12. So, the odds that you're going to go back down to $12 again, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 10 to 10, $12 again, I think is pretty low. I think that would be just like, um, you know, possible with some sort of general market dump, but the odds are not very in your favor to assume that you're going to get that price again. I mean, just imagine it like I had to wait two years to get that price action. So like, like the odds that I'm going to sell allowing you to buy that low is not very good. Um, and a lot of the, you know, people that are left off are pretty much diamond handed chain link folks because, you know, they, you know, they either bought in the bear market or they have bags that they've held all the way through, even though it dumped all the way to five bucks from $53. So I think the consolidation has been good. The retracement's excellent. And now we're still in sort of consolidation of the last bull market, technically, until you kind of pass prior high, which is about 53 bucks. And you could argue that you're in a new bull market for chain link. Um, for sure. Um, you could go sideways here um, with Chainlink for who knows how long it could go all year. Theoretically, this is crypto. You guys know how this works. But at the same time, the, the last time, you know, price was at $20, we shot up to, you know, like in 2020, we shot up like to, to $53 within how many months was that? Like, you know, like, you know, like four months or something. So I think uh, the, the, Technical analysis looks good for the next like four to months to a year, um, being likely bullish. The stock market like sector, as far as NASDAQ and whatnot, has been bullish, which typically is bullish for crypto as well. Earnings for most of those tech companies have been pretty decent. Um, it, it's not just simply like pure pumpamentals. So there's some um, a little bit of bubble status in NASDAQ and some of those stocks. But with that strength, you know, crypto strength, and now having Bitcoin ETFs available, I think the cash flow into the risk on sector is going to sort of um, flourish again. And um, I think uh, when you go onto YouTube and say, hmm, what's an interesting you know, crypto to buy? Chainlink has tons and tons of videos and interesting shit going on. Um, also, um, another metric that is kind of like, I don't know if you want to call it sentiment analysis or whatever, as opposed to fundamental or charts, is the Google Trends analysis. And basically, um, We've barely made a blip on the radar on Google Trends, even after this breakout of the consolidation, which means that like most people still aren't paying attention to it, which is fantastic. Uh, it means that like the herd of newbies has not shown up. Very few people understand what Chainlink is. Very few people are, have like baked in a heavy speculative multiple, I think. Um, there are some like leverage positions, of course, that need to be liquidated at some point on Aave or whoever. But I think um, the the uh, like on the whole, if you look at sort of like where Chainlink is now, as far as um, uh, like just you know the crowd showing up based on Google Trends, we're we're at like we're down ninety percent from the top. So our 
I think the Google Trends score is like maybe like 10 or 15, something like that range, whereas the peak was in 2021. And that was at 100 is the way Google Trends works. It's like the, the highest attention ever versus where we are now. So um, we really have, we're in good shape as far as that's concerned too. Like you don't want to be buying when things are frothy and everyone's like, and Google Trends is like spiking into infinity. Um, you want to grab these things before they run that aggressively. Um, it's going to take a while. It takes, you know, these crypto markets, it takes about a year and a half to two years to generate the buzz in the crypto space where like the average person is talking about their gains, you know, at the water cooler and newbies come to buy your bags in, in a couple of years. Um, so like it, it's, um, you know, it just, it just takes a specific amount of time for that sort of viral, you know, activity to happen. And the, social sentiment and social buzz to sort of spread. Um, but one thing we do know is this true in stocks. It's been true in stocks for decades and it's been true in stock, um, in crypto is that that buzz definitely spreads. It just takes a period of time. Um, and it's a matter of how long you're willing to wait and what's your time preference. I think with Chainlink in terms of time preference, like if I were to buy some here and for some reason the price were to drop and let's say, for example, you know, the price were to stay stagnant for next two years. Is that okay? I, I'm comfortable with that personally. I don't think that's going to be the case, but like I'm comfortable with it. And the other thing is like the bag holder if, um, concern. Like, are you comfortable holding a bag long-term if it goes down after the price you bought it at? And I think like some things you you worry that, okay, if they're going to go down, they're never going to come back up again because maybe no one's going to give a fuck about them. But Chainlink is not one of those. So I think the beauty of Chainlink is that like I was able to go in with much greater size on it because the um, my concern that if my the value of my portfolio goes down, it's going to come back up pretty much no matter what, um, you know, unless you know some you know a fucking bomb gets dropped on the Chainlink headquarters or something weird. Uh, like, uh, there's always risks that you you have to kind of keep in mind. Like, your money can go to zero um, even when with good projects. But I think the general concept here is that I feel comfortable with my bag. That um, even if it were to drop by forty percent um, from here, I'm fine, and um, it'll come back up if it drops. So if if we have some sort of general market capitulation for some reason, maybe some banking crisis or who the fuck knows war or who knows what, then you could see a dump, um, and then um, you know watch for opportunities for the next six months or so. But um, the previous cycle in 2020, we had a big dump with the COVID crisis. Um, and with the Chinese miner uh, getting kicked out for Bitcoin. And that combination resulted in sort of like a severe market cap capitulation at the time where BTC dumped to like $3,500. Um, so that was pretty wicked. Um, and the, the um, is that going to happen again this year? Eh, not necessarily. And I think people expecting that to happen again this year are simply going to miss the boat. And those that are willing to take the risk are probably going to like, uh, benefit in the sense that typically every four years the chart is different. So if it dumped one year, it tends to run the next the next four year cycle in that same period. So uh, I'm a I'm I'm biased towards assuming that we're going to have a bit more of a 2016 cycle at the moment, which is be like to run during the happening year um, versus running you know the versus the price of crypto and stuff running um, like you know, a year after the happening, which is oftentimes, which oftentimes happens. So I, I think we may have like a bit of both, like maybe we have a bit of a run ahead of time where the newbies haven't shown up and they get punished. Cause the thing is like, 
the early people in the market, the smart money, the people who have been here um, this time around, um, I think are going to benefit more because the retail investors who got burned last season are going to be last to come back. Eventually, they're going to be like, oh, my God, crypto's back again. You know, like, I can't believe it. I thought it was all dead. And they're going to show up thinking, you know, where's my gains? But the reality is, I think the people that like uh, tolerated the bear market and who bought during that time are going to be just much, much more um, like benefited, you know, from all of this. And that's usually how this works. Like the people willing to tolerate the max pain usually get the max gain. And um, I think this is true of chain link holders. It's true of like pretty much everyone in the crypto space. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, we're pretty close to a run. Like today, of course, like let me pull up uh, where we are now. I think we're like at 18 bucks for Chainlink. And yeah, 1805, I think, is where I have it now. And um, uh, I think the probability of like just ongoing upside is pretty good here. Uh, remember, these runs usually last about, oh, I don't know, like a month or so, several weeks to kind of get to the next, you know, complete an impulse move, especially with something like Chainlink, which has a bigger market cap. So don't get too impatient. Um, the first FIB level at 21 is almost certainly going to see some resistance because it's been support and resistance numerous times on uh, on uh, Link's chart. So it's going to be like a commonplace for gamblers to put their leverage positions and whatnot. So you're going to see volatility and resistance and whatnot at these levels for that reason. 21 comes first. And then I think we we probably blow through that. We had very low volume at 21 in the past. Like it hasn't had a lot of price action there. So odds that you know you have too many bag holders right there are not very high. I think there are a lot more bag holders maybe as you get closer to about 26, 27, because there's like a good size volume bar there on the Binance chart. Um, and then beyond that, like the next FIB is about 31. And really, you know, once people see $31, if the market's still very strong, if some of the other stuff um, is running, I think getting back to all-time high becomes fairly probable because visually it looks like eye candy at that point. It's like a magnet. And people start piling in just to kind of get that extra little um, gain. And remember, from like 31 to um, the high, which is 53, is still you know getting close to a 2x even there. So um, you can see how that might be attractive to that buyer at that time. So right now, I think like at 18 bucks, um, we're very attractive for it, like a 3x to prior high. That's a pretty good risk uh, reward ratio, considering like. If the downside you might imagine for Chainlink probably is um, the recent volume bar at 15 that we broke out from. I think 15-ish is probably floor now. And I suspect it's the floor forever. Um, I don't know that we're going to go below this again, ever again. Certainly not below 12. I think it's highly unlikely for the, um, we get there again. And so with this nice little floor, you know, you don't have that much downside. Now, you know, you may not like your million-dollar bag at $18 dropping to 15 bucks, but that's like just you know welcome to crypto that's just normal volatility as long as you can stomach all of that i think the the odds of getting to about 53 in the next um, three to six months is quite good um and you know you could you could chop in some of these areas for a while like if you go to 32 and get rejected it drops back down to 21 it could go sideways there for a few months for sure just like go look back at 2021's chart and you'll see a lot of action in that that 21 to 31 or 32 range. And um, I think that could definitely 
uh, be a possibility. Or you know what? Like, you know, people are really bullish right now. The fundamental momentum's really good. You could just simply run straight to 52, or for that matter, head off to 102. So, you know, the thing about these bull market or movements is super, super unpredictable. And just when you think you're fucking smart, you're going to sell and you're going to sell because you're going to buy back lower. The thing just keeps running. So I think Chainlink's interesting enough of a bag that I'm not generally willing to gamble very much of it. And so vast, vast majority of my bag, I'm going to run it to like 140, I think. And just leave it there. And the reason for that is there's just not that many projects with a high level of you know, credibility that they're going to not only reach that value, but one would consider it an appropriate valuation relative to market co competitors. Like we've done a bit of analysis on things like other ch chains that are around in the, um, um, you know, other chains that are around these market caps. And like technically speaking, like, I don't think we'd have a hard time for Chainlink to pass up Dogecoin, Avalanche, Cardano, um, staked ETH, or whatever, <laughs> like, uh, which will largely be weighed down by ETH's price, XRP at 28 mil, and Solana at 42 million. So I think it's very, very feasible to get back up to this sort of like $50 million range relatively quickly. Um, if you guys remember previous bull markets, coins will run up these market cap levels really fast. They may not stay there, but like they will run up really quickly. Um, I think like with Chainlink going to, you know, like the $100 level, you're getting close to sort of like the 100 billion market cap level, um, which would be like a 2x above BNB. Um, many coins, including XRP and BNB and others have been at those market caps. So when these things start to run, man, like the whole world just piles in. That's how this works. Forget about the fundamentals are. Forget about what you think the value of the chain is. Fuck all that. Once you start to run, it just goes, right? It's like a volcano. And you shouldn't overthink it and right curve it, mid curve it, dimwit it. Doesn't matter what your theory is. Like it's usually just better to hold and wait at that. So if you're in this early, my general strategy is to just simply wait for the next minimum of a year. And if I'm going to do something with it, Chainlink, I would do it after all-time high, I think, in my, my mind. Um, there is more supply now than there was last time it ran all-time high. But at the same time, there's a lot more sort of like capital sloshing around in the world now with all the different you know trillions of dollars of like money that's been printed. So, um, And then you add, that, add to that Bitcoin ETF and whatnot, and I think flows are going to come in. So the, I think the party is just getting started and Chainlink right now is at 10 billion, 500 million market cap, which is still relatively sane relative to, um, say, for example, an XRP at 21 billion. Um, and certainly Chainlink does vastly more useful things in many ways than Solana. And technically, long term, from a TPS perspective, is probably actually more infinitely scalable since it's not a blockchain. And um, you know, blockchains are interesting, but um, I think there'll be more and more pressure for uh, blockchain-based product products um, and entire chains to become TCIP. I'm sorry, CCIP compatible, uh, basically Chainlink compatible services. So I think if all the other chains do well, Chainlink does well. Um, also, so that's you know, like a really good position to be in. And we've been running up the market caps lately. We just uh, passed Polkadot and Tron to get to number 12 in market cap rank. Um, Polygon's at 15. 
uh, ton coin. I don't know who the fuck wants that thing. Is it 16? Um, Internet computer at 18. Shiba Inu 19. Litecoin at 20. Um, Ethereum Classic at 25. Atom at 26. So that just kind of gives you an idea of the landscape here um, in terms of like what are the things that are nearby. Because um, really, I'm this season, it's like I didn't want to own a whole bunch of shit. I really want to just have like um, at least one good thing that really runs really well in terms of upside that's approximately a 10 to 20x. And I wanted something whose downside was relatively capped. And I think Chainlink has that magic spot where um, I don't think there's any concerns about fundamentals, its current valuation, where its future valuation might be, um, the social media aspect of it, um, the shillability of it, and just sort of like overall sort of, you know, community activity that's going on. So I think that if you look at like the whole enchilada, I would say in the top 100, um, Chainlink probably has among the better sort of risk profiles. I remember there's like when people like worry about, you know, Chainlink dumping their tokens or whatever, even with all that shit, Chainlink's market cap is still, you know, 10 plus billion at the moment. So there's plenty of room to run and don't think that all other chains don't have selling pressure. Um, some things question here. One sec. Some, some, I was going to say some chains have like selling pressure due to sales of mine tokens. Some chains have selling pressure due to inflationary yield from like proof of stake. Some some chains have lots of team tokens. So like if you look at a comparison between Chainlink and a lot of other coins, it's not really in any unusual company in terms of either token distribution or otherwise. And, and um, so just be aware that like any chains have selling pressure, but during a bull market, a lot of that selling pressure subsides because a lot of times developers and everybody else holds and miners hold and everyone anticipates a giga run. And so a, a giga run sort of materializes. It's all like everybody plays the game together simultaneously and everything just runs. So that's the thing to think about with that. I don't think tokenomics of Chainlink worry me too much. Even if they did worry me, I mean, the coin, even without all that concern, and even with half the fundamentals of last bull market, the thing made it to prior high of $53. I think it can readily go there, even if Chainlink doesn't do anything else interesting, nor its tokenomics are any more competitive than anybody else's. So I think it's fine from at least to all-time high. It's I think it's uh, in good shape. But yeah, Noob, uh, you are saying something? Yeah, just um, not sure if you know that, but the question is Chainlink as a company, how they're funding themselves. So is there actually any... They're selling. They're selling, right? Yep, so they're selling sure. their In fact, someone posted that they, they transferred again to Binance on a scheduled basis, um, again, like in this this week. So they're, they definitely sell along the way, but I don't know. You missed the part where I talked about this, but I'm not sure exactly like how they sell, yeah, I'm, what I'm, period of time. I know that they do something, but how they exactly splitting up their financing because someone's obviously yeah. paying them also in kind or it's maybe scheduled. in something else. It's scheduled, so they, they transfer link tokens from their wallets to Binance or whatever and sell on a timed basis. So they they sent some, and I don't know exactly what their timing is. How, like, do they give this to a market maker to do the selling process? Or, I don't also know. They're generating cash flows, right? I mean, they're basically not just selling the tokens that they generated, let's say the link token. It's also they're getting paid by someone for their services, right? 
So there's some cash flow. Yeah, I don't know how much like impact that has on their their revenue so far, though. Yeah, but it must have some, right? I mean, they're not going to it's, provide. It could be. It could be pretty them. minimal. I'm not sure, like Oracle services and whatever else they're selling to a different chain. I don't know if it's that big yet. Have they ever disclosed that? I mean, I mean, the business basically has to be profitable no, sooner or later. Because the business right? itself doesn't ha- is not public, so. Mm, they have okay. not disclosed so not, revenue. They're not advertising anything like, oh, look, we're doing like this and this much, and we are actually cash flow no. positive or something. No, okay. but you probably don't want to know that because then now you have metrics to weigh you down more than anything. <laughs> um, yeah, I would assume they're not making any money. Like they're selling coins in order to mainly to fund research and business and whatever. Anyway, I think Mohammed had some questions as well. You have something relevant? Yeah, Safi, I was like uh, curious, like as you said, that there's a support level like uh, around $31, right? So what is the best way to see the chart at that time? Like it's uh, what you say, it's a one hourly chart or daily chart or what you suggest for that? If there is a pullback. Mm, the timing doesn't matter. In crypto, like the only chart that matters is like either a daily or weekly. Um, like if you're trading on... Um, you know, hourly charts and stuff, most people just simply lose money. Like there's, there's no way you're going to make as much money as I do. If you're trading on day hourly and playing on leverage and shit, there's just no, it's not possible. <laughs> like, unless you're just fucking like really, really lucky all the time. Um, but yeah, it's like, uh, the, the setups necessary on those like short term charts to do well and the amount of uh, buffer you have to put in terms of stop losses. Um, may, and the, and the sheer volatility of these things make it just not, sensible for the vast majority of people to take on a lot of leverage if you're going to take on a lot of leverage the time to have done so or to worry about short-term charts would have been during the bear market so you know you put in a position six months before happening or a year before happening and like you throw in a bunch of leverage some guys did that on ave and stuff and then they ride it through the whole bull market so that's a sane approach because the upside's really really high over a long time period short term uh not too worried about it like if you're trying to figure out like when when should i consider selling some if you want to sell it you could even just pick even numbers 20 30 40 50 you know there's gonna be sales at even numbers automatically you don't have to have any technical skills at all um there's always sales at even numbers so where you could probably buy back your coins you know 10 percent lower easily right like i mean chain link intraday oftentimes moves plus or minus 10 percent. like so if you want to trade your way up you certainly could but there's tax implications and whatever so you just have to decide what your theory is but yeah which chart like yeah i mean like it doesn't matter i mean like mm, the price is the price so like what which candles you're looking at or whatever doesn't really make any difference okay perfect thank you Mm, you're not like nothing about these nothing about charting crypto or stocks or anything predicts precisely where price is going to go it's it's sort of like mm, you assume that everyone else can see the same chart, so there's like a psychology effect of that happening, mm, you know. And there's a tendency for people to like things like forty to fifty percent discounts on coins, you know. Like, what is the amount that they say? Ooh, you know, eh, this looks like kind of a top, and you know, if it drops this much, maybe I'll get some, right? Like, people start to, you know, use that mindset, and then if people see that, like. A chart has pulled back and gone sideways for a period of time and is starting to trend trickle upward, then people get excited as well. So it's like 
people are looking for a bottom and essentially a, the larger the time frame you're talking about for rounding out a bottom, the more confident people become. That's all you really have to know about this technical trading shit. And if you look at like human psychology, the like the human biology, these things seem to happen over, you know, like weeks and months and years at different sort of you know intervals. And you look at like the market cycle for the, you know, the business cycle, it runs like every four years. Um, and the crypto cycle is very similar. And that has, I think, a lot more to do with human psychology than it does with necessarily like like for example, if insects had a economy and you know maybe insects lived a thousand years, then their market cycle may be 40 years. But for humans, it happens to be around four. And if you like look at how the you look at how long a bear market has to last, how long a bull market lasts, how long these crashes last, usually what you get is like maybe a year and a half worth of bullish market where everything runs because it takes time for humans to tell other humans that their bags are going up and then people start buying. And then you get a, you know, things go way, way, way too high, like overvalued, and then eventually it crashes. And then bear markets usually will drag for like a year or two while, you know, human beings are, you know, depressed for a while and they have to forget about it and PTSD and whatever. We saw people post FTX crash around here holding like mental health spaces. What the fuck not? Like, like, what are they doing? You know, sitting there talking to each other about how they lost all their money and shit. So that crowd like has to kind of like catch up. They have to sort of like get mentally prepared again. It takes about a year or more for people to sort of like forgive and forget. And then it takes even longer for people to decide to pile some money into things. And many people won't throw money into things when they're depressed. And what they will do instead is they'll, they'll assume that the entire thing has gone to shit and nobody's coming back. But they will be convinced again when prices start to rise. So as prices start to go up, it's like, oh, my God, it's happening again. And I, I should have bought the bottom, right? Like, and this is how people think. So the first pump, which is what we've had so far in the altcoin space, um, total three, like almost everything went up, right? Doesn't matter which coin you bought. Everything popped by like two or three X off the bottom. And many of those things um, like have pulled back again. And what oftentimes people miss out on that first bump is like they're like oh i could have bought during the bear market i could have you know i could have already two extra three x my money i'm an idiot right like, that's how people start to think and then so this little pump that we've had uh, with uh the altcoin space and then some of the pullback we had is the first sort of disbelief bump the disbelief bump is the existing market participants are like oh, you know, this is just going to be one more scam in the bear market. We're going to have dumped. This is just a bear market rally. That's how people think. And then, um, then what happens is, is the, like, the newbies had that little run-up and they're like, oh, shit, like, I missed the run-up already, and, you know, whatever, and, or, or people see that. So everyone will jump in on the, on, the, on the first dip, and that's exactly where we are now. So, like, most of the altcoin space has, has you know, like, especially the stuff that's only had its early run, like, exclude like solana injective and stuff but if you look at things that have just started to run and they've already had their full first pullback people are like ooh, that's looking attractive now attention is back people are into this i missed that first little run because i didn't buy the bear market bottom but i can buy now and or like there's people <laughs> or the people that um that um didn't buy enough during the bear market who watched the whole thing who are now upset that they were there the entire two years but didn't buy the fucking bottom because what were they doing the entire time? They're confused. So really, you get what's called this disbelief pump. That's where we are, you know, like this most recent last few months. And we've had the pullback. And now everything's poised to like just rock it off. 
And I think the only thing we have to worry about right now is the coins that have run too hard already. So, for example, your Solanas or your, um, you know, your um, Injective and these kinds of things, Caspa, uh, they could consolidate a lot longer than people think because they have run up so much, their valuations are not nearly as attractive. The beautiful thing about Chainlink is it hasn't run up nearly as much. It's only come up like, you know, a, you know, if you think the average was around like seven, eight bucks in the in the bear market, we're only barely a two x off of that average, maybe a three x off the bottom. But realistically, who literally bought the five dollar bottom of Chainlink? Almost nobody. Right? Few people probably did. Right. So the 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 multiples aren't that high. The overall situation looks pretty attractive. Um, and um, the reason I would say to you, Mohammed, is like don't overthink this shit. Is it's way too early. All the metrics really suggest that like the you know almost no google searches youtube searches so far for things like Chainlink. so like you know if you're going to trade some of it like at 30 you know 21 dollars or 31 or whatever be my guess but realize that there's probably just way more upside than that for the coming year and a half so just by just the general theory, base theory is the, the kitchen cycle 40 months kind of yeah at least mm -hmm. yeah I think I think 14 months from here would be a reasonable strategy. Yes, and if you're early, that if you're in the U.S. or Europe or whatever, it puts you at um, like you're early enough where you can hold for a year and have do well on your long-term capital gain. You, it turns into long-term capital gains in terms of short in, instead of short-term if you sell. So I think that's an important um, thing as well. Like timing-wise, it pays to be early from a tax perspective too, which is also interesting thing um you win on all fronts if you're early enough you win on every front taxes overall um like upside and everything else so it's pretty good um let me go to brad real quick brad do you have a question or comment you there brad uh yeah um just kind of you know i've been watching uh link for for a while and i i started accumulating around uh you know uh fives and all the way up you know into the 13s and stuff but you know just uh trying to figure out you know where where the next consolidation can kind of happen and where we launch you know from there yeah i think that the there's obvious resistance at like 31 um part of that's because that's like a 2x off of the top of this consolidation part of that's because there's like just a fib level there part of that is that like it was support these areas were previous support um and in like previous cycle so i'd say around 31 30 31 32 that's where you'll probably see an opportunity that if like you're trying to grow your bag there's almost surely going to be selling there and you could probably buy back lower um you never really know with these things though so it's like i say this shit and then people come back later and go oh you said it was going to do whatever now like the reality is like the simplest safest approach um, for bull markets, as far as dips are concerned, generally is adding small amounts to dips as opposed to trying to trade your way to Valhalla. And the reason for that is like what you don't want to accidentally have to do is here you are now you sold. You imagine you sold at thirty one. Um, are you going to have the patience to buy it? Wait till it drops back to twenty one to buy it, or are you going to get nervous that things going to moon? And uh, you're just gonna you're just gonna pay a bunch of taxes and then buy it back, you know, five percent lower. So the reality is like you have to be certain that you're gonna stick to your particular trading philosophy one way or the other, and it's very difficult to do that. 
I think, for most people. Um, and if you feel like, hey, the thing runs to 140 or something, um, and you're like, fuck, I, I didn't buy back because I thought it was going to go down. Because remember, the volatility will be so substantial, you won't really know. Like, for example, let's say you hit 31. Then the price drops to, I don't know, you know let's say you had a target of buying back at 21, which is like another FIB level. And, you're, and the price drops to 25. Then it jumps back to 31 again. Then let's say it drops to 25 again. Are you going to actually wait to reach 21? Or are you going to like pull the trigger? So here's the problem. Like when you game this out in your head, when those pri that price action actually happens and it starts to run up again and you're like, ooh, it might break out. It might, you know, like you, you have a tendency to end up, um, like it's very difficult to stick to this sort of plan unless your trading bag is like a smaller fraction of your total. So like if you're going to say, okay, I'm going to sell 10% and maybe if I get lucky, I buy back lower. If I don't get lucky, I'm out. That 10% is out. You know, the, the, I'm not putting that back in, the, in this game. I'll go buy something else or find something cheaper in the market somewhere, right? So if you think like that, you'll be all right. But if you try to like game it too much where you, know, you sell your whole bag and you try to like, you, you know, you think you can get the bottom you, you want, man, that's tough. So, um, you know, you, like uh, an option here would be also to scale in over time and scale out over time, essentially a grid bot. So if you're like, well, I don't know exactly when, when to sell and buy. What I'm going to do is I'm going to sell some at, you know, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32. And then I'm going to buy back on the way down. If it drops 10% from those numbers, then I'll buy back my bag. So you could do that, you know, pretty effectively. It's basically a grid bot type grid strategy. And that's another way to sort of eliminate the emotional element to it. But I, I, I can tell you like, it's hard, even with all the charting and all the fuckery, like it's really hard to figure out exactly where price is going to go. And, you know, like, you know, what, are you going to actually follow this plan to the T or not? <laughs> so like, I'll give you an example, this last um, consolidation period that we just had, where, you know, we ran to like, I think 17 bucks, and we pulled back to right around like, almost 12. There's a fib level right at about 12 bucks. And I think the price hit like 12. 40 or something like that it almost hit 12 but didn't quite get there so um you know you can have that happen where you're like oh yeah i'm definitely gonna buy it when it goes to this level it never happens so that happens all the time because with the volatility of crypto what happens is is you generally start to like get go into a panic mode when the price drops because like you know like take zephyr as an example i mean you know it goes from like you know, goes to 50 bucks and then drops back down to like 10. So then you're at $10. You could be a buyer at $10, but you know, you're going to say to yourself, oh no, but it could go to five. That's a 50% drop. If I buy $10,000 worth of this thing, that's, I'm down 5,000 bucks. So it looks scary as fuck at the bottom, right? Because the, at the bottom is where the volatility is even worse, <laughs> like, <laughs> like mathematically. So your entry point, even though it could be a very good one, you could still face, you know, 50% downside at any given moment. And um, it tends to panic people into not buying back their money, buying back their coins and like actually trading their way to the benefits that they think they're going to have. Some people, what they'll do, Brad, is they'll take a short position. So like you go on a, uh, like a place like Bybit or somewhere and uh, or Ave or something, and you, you take a short position at these levels. And the reason you might do that is that way, if the price does in fact drop, you close your short, you pocket your profit. 
and you don't, you have a separate tax slot. You don't even have to mess with your tax slot on your primary bag. And that's how people use leverage to hedge, um, hedge a position. And that's a reasonable thing to do as well. In fact, that's probably the same thing to do if you're going to do this. Um, as opposed to selling, it's probably better to, sh you know, consider shorting a little bit, not, not the whole amount, but like a little bit as a hedge to protect yourself or at least take profit in that way. So people use shorts to take profit on long positions. So what do you, what do you think, Brad? We have a, you have a particular strategy you want to take or? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking, um, you know, I, I still want to build the bag, right? So, um, you know, I'm going to wait for consolidation here before it launches and just see, you know, where the price goes uh, from here. And um, I, I probably want to want to build up a, a larger position because I'm, I'm definitely long term. You know, I want to hold this thing for, you know, for the long term. And um, so I, I just want to see how it consolidates. I would, you know, as a, ge a general concept, I would bet you um, with a high likelihood of success that if you sold, sum at every $10 interval, just keep it really simple, 20, 30, 40, 50, et cetera, you are very likely to get a 10% dip off of those levels, like, you know, almost the snap of a finger. It's like, it's like people use those levels to trade a lot. So what you could do is use that expectation and then just simply build it back that way and buy, buy back even very, like buy back just 10% lower, right? And your, your bag's getting bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, something along those lines. But say, you know, as I said, I I, I believe in this in a long term. So I, I you know want the bag to uh, to grow. I'm not really looking for the you know short term profits on this. Uh, you know, I think this will be a, a long term winner for me. Yeah, exactly. Now this is I think I do think Chainlink is one of those that at this level at this price you're in early enough where the worst thing you can do is fumbling this bag. Like it's, it's very easy to fuck this up for people and um, it's way easier. Like, yeah, if it was some other trading bag you weren't really sure about, it's different. But when you have a very high quality, undervalued project that is like high conviction and, you know, executing on all cylinders, like this, these are not the things you fuck with too much is my general take. <laughs> like, uh, right. So yeah, I talk about this stuff because Muhammad is asking about some trading concerns and whatever. Um, that does not imply that I'm doing any of these things myself. I'm just saying these are possible strategies. Yes, that well, makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense, especially if you you know you you believe in the project, then you're you know you're looking at higher prices. Yeah, not, and I, I don't care. Like I'm not one of these people that worries if someone sells. Like you know, <laughs> you should do what you need to do for you. That's it. And um, there's different ways to accomplish that. And um, you know all attention on a project is good attention, whether it's sell pressure or buy pressure, because that, you know, creates monetary velocity and volume. And that's good for the project either way. So it's good if more traders are in here playing games and, you know, like whatever with their bags. What's not good is a lack of volatility because when there's not volatility, it doesn't attract traders. It doesn't attract new capital because people want the upside. They want to play the volatility. Um, so yeah, but the, on the whole though, another point to make is that most of total three, which is the the altcoin uh, market cap excluding Ethereum, most of it has um, like bottomed out in volume to the downside with this pullback. And usually in crypto, what happens is volume drops to like, you'll see the volume bars just drop into oblivion. You're like, where'd everyone go? What's going on here? As that, vol as that volume drops and that volatility drops, you're basically setting up for a gigantic move usually up or down, 
But if the charts look like a nice, you know, retracement has happened, usually it's going to bias towards upside, generally speaking. And I think that's where we're a lot of the charts for a lot of different coins are looking like that now. Looks really good. Another one that has a great chart right now is Zephyr. Looks beautiful now. Like the volume's down to oblivion. You know, like <laughs> all the tourists are gone. And um, and there's like Zephyr swap and all this interesting stuff coming out the next month. So um, what happens usually when a DEX is about to be released is a lot of people will buy the coin with anticipation of like parking in the DEX for liquidity providers and stuff. And, um, and so you tend to see some more monetary activity during that time. So yeah, another, another good low market cap situation. So I think like what's funny though is like if my Zephyr does well, it'll vastly outpace my Chainlink bag, even though my amount I have in Chainlink is a lot more. So Chainlink I have a lot of because I feel like it's a safe play that if it drops, it's likely to go back up. And Zephyr is my bag for like, you know, moonshot. Like, the, you know, if it does really, really well, then, um, then you know, we're talking about, you know, 10, 20, 100x type numbers from this level, especially. So if Zephyr reaches Monero's market cap, then you're basically at like, um, well, um, how high is that? That's like a 10, it's like 100x from here. So that would be kind of the moon bag type of thing. Um, and do you have a, you know, I may, I may have missed this, you know, earlier in the, in the conversation, but uh, do you have a, you know, a um, sort of a, a price target and, you know, where you think, you know, link could go, uh, you know, short intermediate term? Mm, yeah, I mean, I think one, the likelihood of reaching prior high is, in my mind, pretty much given, um, you know, barring, you know, a meteor striking the earth or some shit. And those type of things can happen <laughs> as far as like companies, but outside of like any kind of mega disaster, I think all time high, prior high of 53 bucks is a given. I think we, uh, like, if you look at the last time Link was at 20 bucks and last time it ran to 53 bucks back in 2021, that happened in about four months. So in I would say like three to four months, it's possible to reach all time high just based on prior chain link history. I think it could go faster than that and go past that because in that time also, because we've had a big consolidation period at a new, at a new, high, new level compared to last season. So this is a very different season with everyone has a different uh, return on investment like outlook. So I think it could run past all time high even within you know the three to six months time window. Um, and I wouldn't even like be surprised at all. Like truly, it'd just be like whatever. Like that's how mundane it would be to pass all time high within six months. Now, as far as like the top, you know, how high can things go? Um, so if you look at sort of Chainlink and say, okay, and it's and it's big price cycles. If its biggest cycle was like, you know, um, like the last bull run was its major, you know, cycle, right? It went through one major bull cycle. During that bull cycle, you went from like a, you know, under a dollar to like fifty three dollars, something like that. And um, the the sort of pullback from that top was right around ninety one percent. Um, Ethereum, when it did this in its first cycle uh, back in 2018, it pulled back about 95%, I believe, from the top, something like that. And then uh, this time, Ethereum ran, um, you know, like 2021 had its giga run, ran to around 5,000 bucks or something like that, 4,800. And it pulled back, I think, I think the number was like 85% or something or 80%. 
something like that. So with each cycle, the, 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 the highs get not as impressive in terms of like multiples and the lows don't dip as much either. Chainlink this time it dropped 91% and I consider that its first cycle sort of like retracement. So if you, and why does all this matter? Because like if you model this after ETH's behavior and you say, okay, a high quality chain, a project, high quality attention, a lot of interesting things happening in terms of integrations and whatever. And there's some speculative multiples that'll be involved here. You could say if you copy ETH's chart back in 20, for 2021, Chainlink has a possibility of running to like $250, $250 Chainlink, which is, you know, insanely high, obviously, but doable if you look at ETH history. Um, if you um, like don't go to that level, let's say you only make it maybe two FIB level extensions off the prior high, that still puts it at about 140. So my theory is like 140 is the sort of like sane target for Chainlink, which would be a 3x past its previous high. Um, the complete exuberant, like, you know, gigasend target would be copying Ethereum. Although you might argue there's not as much like free cash flow in crypto as there was during like stimulus checks and, you know, <laughs> like low interest rates and everything. So I think like if you were to set up a, you know, set up for a, that kind of move, you'd need a lot more cash entering the system. Is it possible in a global system to, to reach 250? I suppose it's possible. Chainlink is like vastly more interesting now than it was four years ago. However, you look at the macroeconomics and everything else, I think maybe 140-ish would be probably a fairly rational bullish target. Um, so like, you know, how do you take advantage of that? It'd be like almost, and you, you almost know for sure they're selling at $100, by the way, just because it's a nice round number. Um, and that would be like a 2X from the previous high. So, you know, how do you take advantage of this? You'd probably be selling all the way up, probably. I mean, you'd probably like pick increments and just keep selling. Um, OP dropped off. Um, but um, anyway, but that's a way to take advantage of that price action if um, you're trying to figure out, um, you know, what to do with your money. So, so you, you just have to, well, no, you don't have to, but have a look at the UST mark. USDT market cap chart, right? So basically, from the top of the bull run, we were like 80 billion, and it dropped all the way down to like 65, and now we are 96. So there's a lot of money around still, you know. I it's it, there's more projects, yeah, yeah. but it's gonna, something, you know, it's, it's gonna it's, flow it's like into magnet, whatever's right? pumping. Yeah, yeah. Tether tends and to flow into whatever's pumping at that moment too. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see even a big market cap thing like really ripping off because it's just the effect, right? And people, the more secure it appears, like Link, for example, right? So people have trust in it. They say, oh, it's already that big a market cap. It won't go like straight to zero tomorrow. They won't rock or whatnot, right? So this also, is also, also the more scared people are, the more disbelief there is, the higher it can go. Because, <laughs> because what happens is it'll go up slower, but it will happen with spot bags instead of tons of leverage. And so you won't have that high vertical velocity, but you'll have a longer cycle and Steady money up, right? and, and it could go up yeah, high, you know, higher over a longer period of time too. That's another possibility. Yeah. Totally possible. Yeah, but hundred will Brad, be certainly Brad resistance. Did you Brad, did you catch what I said about the, the, the sort of price targets and why I was thinking them? 
I, I did, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no problem. Yes, thank you. I, um, you know, so I was thinking like my my target has been like the 140 level, which would be 50% of the ETH run. Not 50%, but like thank um, it is a FIB level at 140. And it would be like, you know, and, and the next FIB above that's like 240 or 250 or something, which would be like an Ethereum level run. And I'm not so sure it has like that kind of power. One and the the uh, the other reason, like I'm, I don't know if it can reach 250 level, is because yeah, the macro environment, maybe who knows. And then the other reason I'm not so sure it can reach that is because um, there's a lot more chains now, right? So like think about how many more coins there are compared to back the previous cycle or the cycle before that. When ETH did its these runs, like there weren't nearly as many kind of like mega competitors. On the other hand, if you say like which tech has like true staying power in crypto that like long term that institutions and human beings are actually going to use this shit. I think right now the the narrative is Solana for speed and um Chainlink looks like it's going to be the Oracle slash um you know uh like connect everything like you know link everything uh, for lack of a better term um system and Ethereum still has its kind of like thrown as a like key highly secured layer one um and of course you have bitcoin for store of value and you have like on-chain gold that's coming um that's going to be make a bigger and bigger uh, um splash uh, and that's coming via like chain link and paxos and whatever so you have a lot of different um sort of things that are playing out but like how many of these tech are actually going to make it like ask yourself this if you're going to hold something for let's say five to ten years let's just say you were going to do this which things would you hold for 10 years be pretty confident you're going to be doing better than not <laughs> you know like if you you should make a list of those for sure and say like and, and and part of that list would be which of these things does not have the same level of competition against it where um it's not just a first mover advantage but like they you know monopoly status is like critical to the success of that type of system and if you look at interoperability which is you know like what chainlink is working on right now uh, coupled with oracles it's like an interop interoperability plus an oracle system to run the whole system um i would say like it's pretty much the lone wolf in this and it is basically a monopoly and typically in tech you want to be picking up monopolies um monopolies duopolies in fact, you could pretty much pick whatever competitor Chainlink has also and just buy them too, in, in a sense as well, if you want to sort of play that game. But like if you go back to like, you know, early 2000s where MasterCard and Visa and whatever IPO'd, you did really well if you still held those today. Um, you, like if you kept picked up like Microsoft and you picked up Google and you picked up Apple and you picked up, like you didn't even need to know which one was going to go up. Like all of the tech plays that looked like they were developing some market dominance did well. Um, except for maybe like Nokia and a few others that like just got the shit kicked out of them for whatever reason, but had dominance for a while. Um, so in this space, I think like uh, even more so than Ethereum, Link has sort of a special position. I would say like, say like, what are the most unique things out there? Um, BTC still has its, um, you know, scale and and relative immutab immutability and sort of relative fixed supply as it's sort of kind of like call to fame. And if you talk about like 
what's the most useful you know software infrastructure or like network infrastructure being built outside of that um you know it's it seems like chainlink has the lead in that if you look at other chains like other layer ones ethereum and solana and you know cosmos chains and whatever all of those are just competing for each other's market share right it'd be like having you know hundreds of different smartphone brands but it'd be like you know i don't know um you know like it'd be like uh you know chainlink could be like having windows or something you know the operating system that runs on all these things so i think that operating system level functionality that chainlink's bringing to the table this season is a lot more interesting than just simply being an oracle or whatever it was last season so yeah the the bullishness here is like multifactorial for me um and um yeah i i i can't begin to sort of like know how high it can go or like if you wait 10 years where it could be so a lot of people are like well if you wait 10 years i mean you're probably talking thousand dollar chain link if it if all the shit that they talk about materializes the stock market stuff the um the swift stuff and everything else like a 10-year time frame could be a really really strong hold um and if you're worried about that and you're worried about like okay am i going to trade my way through that or i'm going to actually um like just sit hold it and throw a bag there and just leave it alone forever then what matters is what is next cycle's bear market low and i think next cycle's bear market low would probably be somewhere between 30 and 50 bucks if i had to guess maybe higher um maybe 50 bucks um could be future bear market low that would be a really bullish chart um but uh let's say 30 to 50 bucks somewhere in that range is probably rational you go to some giga sand and you dump back down to these levels would be pretty typical of crypto and if you're going to hold long term like you're going to hold 10 years you want to be able to exit any time in the green if you had to like you know it's, if you had an emergency you needed the money or whatever so i think we're still early enough we're like under 30 bucks um for chain link is a very very like rational space to be a bag holder for the next 10 years if you had to be right like if you got stuck with this position because the fucking thing wouldn't go for up fast enough or it dumped or whatever like where would you be comfortable i think under 30 dollars is a reasonable buy for chain link still so um after that it gets a little bit dicier you know you still have upside but um like you could basically ride the bull market all the way up and ride it down and still be in the you know you might just be break even right that's the problem so if you, if you, if you don't want to know how the timing of the bull market goes you want to sort of start predicting where the next bear market low is likely to be and then like judge based on that where how much you want to buy and whatever right so uh, you know because that's that's the thing like a lot of things will pump a lot and then but if you just want to just like in other words you're, you're telling your mother to go buy you know some chain link right like you're telling a family member and they're not they don't pay attention to crypto they don't know what the fuck they're doing you want to make sure they're happy and the way you make sure they're happy is pick a number that's likely lower than the future bear market low so that no matter how high it pumps no matter how much it dumps your grandma's still in the green and she's happy with you she doesn't think you're an imbecile um your friends don't think you're morons so like like now i think we're still early enough where i think with chain link and stuff you could technically tell your friends your newbie friends whoever and they're fine um i think they're not in danger of um you know you know being like underwater and shit too much what do you think noob does that make is that reasonable strategy to you well uh, well i think um chain link has potential right so it's it's just like it's it's going to to rip we just don't know where it goes and how high it goes and if it does make sense to actually sell something and buy back it, it there's really no advice that you one could give to another person 
you know, just have to see what's your own situation, make the best, but definitely it's a good pick, you know. So I would say if you're not that kind of gambler, right, if you don't want to buy pork token, like, yeah, yeah so, you know, I was just following his face this morning and he's like, hey, you made like 30K this morning on the stupid pork token or something, you know. It's like, okay, if you want to do some crazy ass shit, do it, you know, it's your money. But um, if yeah, you, I mean, <laughs> it's like there's certain there's certain ways to take high risk in crypto. That includes things like, um, you know, using leverage. It includes things like playing in like micro caps, playing in, in uh, playing in the uh, what do you call it? The the, you know, the meme coin casino. And, you know, all those are fun. Like and some people like doing it with NFTs and whatnot. Um, and, um, you know, those people are always going to be there wanting to have that yeah. fun. I think it's just uh, reasonable to make some logical assumptions on certain things. Like if someone builds real stuff like Link, they're going to stay, you know, even if we have some stupid things happening, Link is actually pretty well set up, I think, to survive most of the stupid stuff that could happen, you know, uh, in this, in this market as unregulated as it still is. So this is one. One very positive point, they don't run a blockchain. There's no way they can be exploited. I mean, people can steal from something like the Aave pool or something, right? And even that if they even if they price. were, like it doesn't um these are all separate networks. So there's no singular chain link network. So yeah. it's not like yeah. if one gets broken because it was implemented wrong, that like everyone gets screwed or something like that. It's there's yeah. no and, and not only that, but the coin does not actually get impacted by the, the network. It does the coin does not actually secure the general network. Exactly. And so, and, and so therefore, yeah, I mean, ETH, I think it's basically tied to like what the security of the ETH mainnet, essentially, I think. I'm not. Yeah. But, so, no, I, I mean, think, it's a okay. C20 token, right? So that's just it. It just sits there and doesn't cost you anything to hold it. It's not, not going to be diluted or whatever, right? By proof of stake fees or whatnot, right? And one thing you have to consider is um, Link has, has had a decent trading volume. I, I like to look at the smaller exchanges because like KuCoin, because there's not so much stupid shit going on there. And it's like Bitcoin today had like 70 million and Link is at 50 million right today so far. Monero, interestingly, is at almost 6 million, which is quite high. I don't know what Monero is doing, but the volume came up on XMR. Which Let me see here. I, um, yeah, we have a trading volume of about... A billion in the last 24 hours for link um you, you know why i'm actually looking at xmr because i think there's a lot of people that will want to change some of their funds into as soon as this text goes online on zeph right there will be some inflows into zsc for sure you know people will, will use that kind of bridge i'm Wow, oh yeah sure. like <laughs> you can be pretty much sure people are going to use something like that um there's a lot of folks who want to stay hidden and um you know one of the one of the examples of this happening already is the success of thorchain right like if you look at how many people are using thorchain now versus what they were let's say 2 years ago um thorchain last few months was doing more volume than they did even during the bull market of last season so these yep. sort of like fully decentralized dexes with um where you can use um you know, direct sort of wallet interactions and you don't have to go through like, you know, a DeFi type of system. Uh, you, there's you, definitely... You know, uh, Steffi, just imagine, you know, yeah. if you 
for whatever reason, transfer a larger amount of crypto from one exchange to another one, and there's some flag on it, and you're not even doing something wrong. And this happened to me before, right? You just get it stuck there for like two weeks, three weeks, and this happened. If this happened just once to you because of AML or whatever KYC rules, you would rather pay uh, whatever zero point five percent slippage to get it somewhere around these kind of stupid shenanigans if right. you're in a hurry, right? Oh because yeah. You would you pay? Would you point pay point seven percent? You know, fee on the exchange in order to conceal your entire bag. Sure, why not? You know, there's people that are going to do that for it's, sure. It's not, it's not just concealing. That's on top of that, right? But it's also just people having had that stupid issue with the. I mean, I'm plagued by that. I run international wire transfers all the time with my regular business, and you can't believe the amount of trouble I had all the fucking time. You know, it's just and that's just TT. You know, so in, in crypto cross cross, I, I, but also I don't use it for business. I just use it for trading. But even if I move some money from some stupid whatever exchange to i don't know uh finance for example they can block your stuff and ask you for documentation and then it's like yeah we have to review it and you're sitting there like two days you know and then they send an email yeah it's there you know so you're completely at there <laughs> i think so with I think, the, I think with the cbdc's and everything coming i think you're going to find that like maybe dozens if not many more uh privacy dexes are going to emerge not just this one but um, Zephyr swap is one, but like, I think lots of new ones are going to show up because the demand is going to skyrocket because once you've like proven that some, such a thing can be created and it's been proven that it's like, uh, impossible to stop. Um, there comes a point where it just simply becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that more and more of them get created and people use them consistently. Um, you see, there's one thing I wanted to actually share with you a, while, uh, a couple of days back already. So CBDCs, right? So in, in Germany, we, we have pretty decent amount of refugees from Syria and Ukraine and whatnot. And recently, Germany is not doing well. Governments out of money. They don't want to borrow more or they can't really borrow more money because there's laws and whatnot, right? So they like have to make cuts here and there. And now they figure people are saying, okay, you have to send some of these refugees. They're not entitled to be here, send them back. And they don't want to for whatever reason. So they're like, okay, we find another way. So they basically have a, started a test project where they give them visa cards where they only can buy in stores. So they, they are limited, right? So the money that's on there, it's like the welfare goes into that card and you can just buy in the local stores within that zip code range. You can't buy shit on Amazon with these cards. It's like a prepaid card. They give you a little bit of cash in your bank account, but the rest is on that card and you can't transfer it anywhere else. They figured out that a lot of these guys, they were actually trafficked and they pay back their traffickers with their social welfare that they get. But it's kind of a CBDC that's built around the visa card, right? Because you can really control what people do with their money. And two days ago, I heard something like they want to give out like 50 million to the refugees in New York. And you know what? They, they're going to love if they can actually limit them for not having any cash transfers with these cards, you know? So, hey, go figure. You know? <laughs> That's how they... <laughs> Yeah, yeah and you know, only allow them to spend it what you you allow the government allows you to spend it on basically. Exactly, it's already there, right? It's implemented into a Visa card, so it doesn't look like it, but uh, it's there. That's the concept of a CBDC, right? So that's the pilot project, and later on they will say, "Yeah, now we just call it a CBDC. Who cares, right? We did it before." That's how they do it usually. So yeah, it's knocking on the door. Yeah, when people are giving away money, then they control you. It's that simple. It's how life works.
But um, yeah, the the interesting thing here is like with these swapping mechanisms. Like, imagine, okay, so Zephyr is at uh, thirteen dollars or something right now. So um, <clears throat> later on, let's assume it's worth four hundred bucks or whatever when it's a billion market cap. So um, you'll be able to swap your Zephyr to um, ZSD, you know, using the the new swapping mechanism, the new Dex. You'll be able to swap to either Tether or you'll be able to swap to ZSD. If you swap to ZSD, nobody knows you've done it. And if you've swapped to Tether, nobody knows you've done it. Um, with Tether, you can then go to things like websites that accept you know, Tether, which there's a lot of actually. And you can basically go travel with it. You can go and like get gift cards endlessly with these things. And really just like you'd, you know, you'd want to budget for like being able to actually spend that. And um, that's kind of where the magic comes in. And of course, like nobody knows you know, that it exists. So, and there's no way for anyone to know it, it exists. So that's just, that becomes your business at that point, what to do and how to, how to manage that. Um, so yeah, the, the, the practical application is, is higher than most crypto period. Like how many crypto do you know that has this utility? Basically none. So you mix a DEX plus a privacy coin and you're basically just kicking ass. Um, the, the practical applications for lots of different people in the world are just endless. And the number of people that are going to use it is a lot more than people think. So, like, you see price action. Oh, it went. Zephyr went from $52 down to 10 bucks. Yeah, welcome to crypto. That's just normal. But, like, understanding like, what the potential and, and the and potential you have, that CSD, you have that stable point, right? So people can oh, yeah. park it in stable. That's the point, right? Because if someone doesn't want, the, want that kind of trouble with the volatility, they just turn whatever they have. They, 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 they turn the XMR. They turn the USDT into a ZSD, even on the DEX, I could imagine that people just send USDT in and they get ZSD and then they do whatever the fuck they want with it, right? It wouldn't be surprising. I, I'm interested, you know what, I'm interested in seeing what the, the team does for Zephyr Swap. I wonder if they're gonna offer one-to-one -one remittance for ZSD valuation, meaning like, um, if you go there, you always get one-to-one, -one, maybe. And that'd be really good, you know, because then you, then you, it'd be very similar to going to Circle or going to Tether and getting your money back, you know, getting your cash back. Um, that could be pretty cool. So yeah, there could be uh, nice deep liquidity pools there, even if it's like not one to one. It could be like the slippage might end up being very very low um, if they set it up right. So I'm super super excited to see like how smart these guys are. Like I sense that like I get the feeling like the Zephyr team's pretty smart. Um, like these are not no, projects that you do because you're, be you're like half baked. Because as soon as you have demand for for ZSD. What will happen if people actually trade into ZSD, you will get more ZSR shares available, right? So it's, it's just the, the whole way the metrics work. People will just convert inside the wallet into ZSD and sell that on the open market. I don't think there will be a premium in the future on, on that trade. People will just, as long as the price of Zeph continually appreciates at a certain level, it just can be swallowed up, you know, that spread different way if it if it goes down if the zef price goes down and everything retracts then probably you can't do that but i i, I don't see why it shouldn't trade at par with usdt yeah and the, the high volume like you mentioned on monero um lately is really bullish as well you know it implies that there's like um maybe with the price being stable and not dropping it implies there's like robotic accumulation going on of monero also which is again like I think bullish for the privacy space. And then, you know, of the privacy narrative um, options out there, it's like, 
Zeph is among the more interesting of them, and some of the older stuff like Dash and Zcash or whatever, nobody seems to care about, and their market caps are too big. So Zephyr is just a much more interesting project to, especially at this price. Geez, like it's an amazing price. If people like haven't gotten it, um, like you know, dropped from fifty-two dollars down to like what are we at thirteen dollars now? That's just a fantastic entry point. Um, I've definitely bought higher than that, so like um, it's at thirteen ten at the moment. Yeah, uh, did you notice that chart I posted? The it's putting in higher. Um, higher lows for the entire like last um it's trickling upwards for almost like two weeks now which yeah, is really there's some, there some blue kettles there on that superscript right so yeah it's, it's a really really wild. good it's a really good like um like situation where the bottom is just going slightly higher and higher over time those limit yeah. orders are getting pushed up and, a little bit higher every every week and remember we, we have seen this hash rate going almost to 2.7 or whatever giga hashes right so i think um as we will probably see, you know, as soon as I don't know exactly when this will happen, but we'll probably see an uptick in hash rate pretty soon, which will be also quite bullish. You know, as soon as this flips like 14 or 15 bucks, I think the hash rate will consistently be over two giga hashes and not drop below that. That'll be good, you know. Another way to support the price, by the way, gang, is like if you take um, some tether and you put a limit order in for, um, you put a limit order in like 10 bucks for Zephyr, even though it may never hit, you just have some stable coin that you happen to have. Then the benefit of doing that is that it creates like a floor price that you, that market makers know they can't like, in other words, you're sort of like, you know, sort of front running market makers to some extent. And the less money that market makers think they can make at support, then um, the more likely they're going to move their limit orders up and, you know, so generally speaking, what you want to do is like if you you if you're buying this resistance, like if you're buying tops, you actually make it you you sort of like negative on price action. It can actually make price go down because market makers then are like, oh, okay, I sold my bags at the top and now I can go and buy at the bottom again. So I'm gonna move my limit orders lower and lower until the price gets there. So what you do is like if you want to support the price of your project, you need to buy it at the bottom. Um and and just hold on to it forever. <laughs> like, and then you've just basically taken the money out of market makers' hands and makes it harder for them to make money, right? You're buying the bottom instead of them. That's kind of how this sort of smart money uh, slash, you know, you know, support buying makes sense. So you have to be the smart money. You have to put your mind in the head of a market maker. What would they do in this setting? And they would buy the bottom, not the tops. Um, so you, you do have to kind of, like think backwards if you had a whole bunch of money and you had to make advertising grassroots spoofing concept right (laughs) yeah exactly like a grassroots uh you know market making essentially yeah definitely i mean that's that's how it works right if they see there are a lot of orders they can't get the price to that level where they want to get the entry then they're not going to sell their bags to get it down there right so it's just how it works in the same. And market makers usually have to be delta neutral. They, they they don't try to make profit off it so much as they're making profit off the individual transactions. Think of them more like a bot trader than they are anything else. And their ability to predict how low the price is going to go and how they're going to set up their bots and everything is going to make a difference for them in terms of how that works. So they're always trying to stay neutral. And also, if the volume drops off a lot, um, then it benefits them to have like 
the price move to an area that's much more like where, where more selling happens or more buying happens. So if you've already had like volume drop off to the downside, then most of the money they can make is basically done for. And so then what they'll do is they'll start like accumulating at the bottoms. And then slowly what happens you'll see is that, that the, the, the floor price starts to rise and rise because they have to keep, you know, they can't get the price to go down any further. And in order to catch a bid, they ha everyone has to move their limit orders up, right? And that's what happens. That's what's happening on the, the Zephyr chart now. It looks pretty good. So, um, you know, we had like a couple of fake outs where we had like a run up like this and then it crashed um, and went lower. But I think that $17 level, you know, where things sort of hung out for almost a month and then a capitulation happened. I would say like the drop from 17 to like 1050, well, that was the capitulation. And now we're seeing the rounded bottom off of that. And basically, if you break 17 bucks, it's basically, you know, it's going to run, I think, most likely. Like it'll just, it'll just really take off. So remember, the deeper the dip, the higher the FIB levels go as far as like the extensions off the pre previous high. So the depth of the volatility is actually very important. So think of it like if you make it through a bear market, if you make it through that deep volatility, that giga retracement, and you buy at those levels, you're doing like you're going to do really well. Generally, it's not just buying the bottom. Those the deeper the retracement, the bigger the pump. It's just how this just I don't make the rules. Yeah. That's how it works. There's, <laughs> like, there's yeah. also one one interesting thing. If you actually look at how the price slices, it's not slicing, but if it actually shifts from one fib to the next fib level actually the moves are rather fast and actually these moves don't happen sometimes they do but they happen on rather little volume and then when they actually go into the next fib level they stay so basically it's the market makers kind of shifting their their center point right they're like okay we're, we're going to trade up here right now so it's like um the hedge is moving into that direction and that's how 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 you see that the volume yeah, it's, it's super interesting small. how these things move on low volume i always find that to be a a fascinating sort of process and um yeah it's like the interpretation of what volume means when it comes to these things is not that straightforward but it's a lot of times you want to do the opposite of what you think like when in crypto at least when the volume is its absolute lowest it's almost always the best buys like especially if you're talking about volume is the lowest and you have a big retracement almost always the best buys are found right there. You can almost set an alarm to it, the volume levels. And once they start, the volume starts pumping, what happens is you have a lot of people like to play on momentum. They have alarms for when the volume is like starting to spike. Cause you know, the, the, what happens is people that like want to buy the bottom, all you have to do is basically just wait for price to go all the way down and keep buying and then get like, and especially get in when the volume is super low momentum traders. <clears throat> they don't want to wait for like six months or, whatever until the price goes up again the bottom feeders are going to get the highest highest roi and the momentum traders they get their roi by putting leverage on on usually so they'll go borrow somewhere they'll buy a lot more and now they have like 5x the exposure but they have to take risk in from that perspective so if you're buying off the bottom you're basically like taking the risk of time that you might have to wait six months, a year. I mean, shit, my chain link bag was sitting around a year and a half. Who am I kidding? <laughs> you know, so like, you know, to get a, like a three X or whatever, I, my bag was sitting around for a year and a half. So that's the difference. If you're bottom feeding, you may have to wait a long time. If you're playing momentum, 
you are going to miss a lot of the, you're not going to catch the, the, the very bottom. Like you might not have, you might've missed chain link at five bucks. You're going to pick it up at 15 plus because now there's definitive momentum. And then, but to make the gains, a lot of people have to take the risk by throwing in leverage. Whereas if you buy the bottom, yeah, you had to wait a year and a half, but you didn't have to take leverage. So it, you know, either way, there's an opportunity cost. Cause if you take leverage, you have to pay fees for the interest. And you have to pay fees for like, you know, you have to basically put in stop losses. You might lose your money if it hits those stop losses and you end up selling low. On the other hand, if you are, um, you know, like stuck in a position for a year and a half, well, you're still paying something, right? You're paying opportunity cost because now your money is sitting there doing nothing and probably not generating any yield or anything else. So there is like this trade-off between uh, the person who's like going to be just like searching for a bottom and buying and the people that want momentum and then play on leverage. The way I look at it is if you're a bottom feeder, like you, you, like I am, you buy the Rex charts. Then what happens is you are basically waiing for leverage people to come pump your bags. Cause I like, think about it. You have to just pay like, you know, let's say you bought, you know, chain link of 15 bucks, right? You, you got this for $15 a coin. Someone else might come and like pump your bags using like, a fraction of the money, but taking on a lot more risk and a lot more leverage. But the amount of volume skyrockets because the number of like people on leverage escalates exponentially during the momentum moves. But you don't all you have to do is wait for those retards to come and pump your bags. You don't have to do anything. Like, like you know, and that's why you get these gigantic impulse moves in crypto because like when momentum starts flying, you know, you know, everyone piles in and, um, and all the dips get bought, and then you get these you know five x's, these ten x's. And then, um, then you get this gigantic crash because it's most of the price action was not actual organic price action from a spot buying perspective. It was giga pump due to leverage, and therefore, like it's going to crash. Like that's just a given. <laughs> that's just going to happen. So that's why, like, predicting future highs and then future bottoms for future bear markets is kind of how you want to like map it out a little bit. Yeah. And and there's one more thing that people should consider is when there's an initial pump, the second pump after that one, well, let's say we have a, we had a last cycle, right? Or even on Ceph, you had like this first run up that we saw on the on the price, right? And and we get a second wave, and that second wave is always larger than the first one, right? So the same yeah, will happen. Like Elliot Elliot wave thinking is kind of that. Yeah, yeah, it's just how it works, you know. It's always bigger. How much bigger really depends, you know, but it's at least bigger, right? So it will go to a higher top because something really stupid has to happen for it not to actually pump higher than the first top, like some external thing or whatever. Yeah, after the extent of consolidation the chain links had, for an example, like this next run from like this consolidation level, which we just broke out of, up to sort of the next, um, like, you know, intermediate top, it could run a lot. Like you might be like, what in the fuck? It's a hundred dollars. And you're like, what just happened? And uh, those second wave moves are just like, just ridiculous. And um, you never really know exactly how high it's going to go. And so, and then even after that, you'll have a drop and then you'll have one more sort of like last gasp as it pumps to the next like last bit. Most of the ROI has been, you know, extracted already. So, you know, a lot of people exit dur during the second wave because like, they're like, fuck this, I'm out of here. I'm just going to go find something that hasn't moved yet. You know, like, you know, cause, cause the thing is like, here's like the way you want to think about it. Like, let's say you thought chain link, you go to 140, and let's say you sold it at like 70 bucks, let's say 50% of that move. And you know, you've, you've made it, you know, let's say a 10 X on your money. Um, you know, to get another 2x, 
you've got to have that shit move from like seventy dollars to one forty, right? Another two x on that. Is it easier to find a two x elsewhere at that point? The odds are pretty good that that's true. So this is where like the dumb money keeps buying, hoping to like ride all the way to the top, and then the smart money says, "Wait a minute, like I can go buy, you know, um, I don't know, some fertilizer stocks over here, and shit, that only has to move up." You know, I can make dividends on that. <laughs> that could probably double in a stock bull market. And I don't have to take almost any risk because that stock is that chart is already wrecked. So, um, yeah, to get that last gasp of 2x is where most people fuck themselves up, I think, is sort of like you've already 10x and now you want the 20x. But really, from your like position, that's only a 2x left in the tank. And, um, and that's where the kind of the greed comes in because your bag starts getting gigantic. You're like, wait a minute. Uh, you know, like, oh, ooh, but if I just wait for this and wait for that, it's going to go up to X, Y, or Z. That's where people get in trouble. Yeah, but, and then they don't sell and ride it all the way down. It's even funnier. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like, now at the same time, it's really tough to tell where the so-called top actually is. But that's yeah. why spending so much time on these FIB extensions matters, because then it, like, it gives you some perspective of how these things could move when they move. So that you don't undersell too, like you don't you don't get out too quick because you you if you're in a high risk type of thing like crypto, um, and if you're not figuring out how to make like a 10x on your bag, then you're not doing something right. Like like if there's a lot less risky ways to make a 2x or a 3x usually. Um, and well, actually in crypto, there's easy ways to make two and three x's as well um, with relatively low risk. Um, it's when you start to get like trying to make 10 and 20 X's that you start getting into uh, much more higher risk bags that you have to have way more conviction for whatever reason on almost autistic level, like obsessive convictions necessary to get to those type of gains. So you'll hear about an occasional person that makes a 20 X or hundred X. That's fine. But the number of folks that like um, have the obsessiveness to hold that hard, um, you know, if, especially if their bag is really big, the, the number of people goes down considerably. Well, one advice would be if there's really someone active here on social media promoting that they just 20x their bags and they have a huge following, it's probably just <laughs> time to get out. Yeah, yeah, time just, to get out. <laughs> just go away, yeah. you know. I mean, we're just bullshitting here. We don't give a shit what you do with your money, folks. You know, <laughs> it's like uh, we're not, we're not. <laughs> yeah, once once people that have a big bag are bragging about it, you're you're probably done for. Yeah, if if you're if you're like running like hundred dollar plus link, and know that my bag is just giga gigantic at that point, and like <laughs> so any any posts I'm making at that point are pure gloating. Like fuck you, I got I bought it seven dollars, I bought it twelve dollars, and you know whatever, and um you know like I told you so, kind of gloating. Like at that point, I'm just making fun of everyone else. So don't fucking go buy it at those levels. Um, that doesn't make any sense. It's really like people in this room are probably all more crypto native crowd who've been here last couple of years, right? These are not like newbies. Um, yeah. Whereas if you like, like later on, like when, when, when things are running, all the newbies show up, like notice today, like in this room, there's not very many people here, even though link is doing well, right? That's weird, isn't it? Like, <laughs> like, so that tells, you know, you're still early. And what you'll notice is let's say link runs to like, I don't know, let's say it runs to 50 bucks, like really quickly. A room like this will be full of like two or 300 people all, all just wondering what's going on. And what they're doing is maybe they just bought and they're hoping that like, you know, the paradigm shift is going to come or maybe they, they're so excited about their bags going up that, you know, everyone's showing up to the party. So that's how you know it's getting a bit hot, you know. Like you can just tell by the number of people in the room almost. 
uh, what's happening. Pretty fascinating. Yeah, but like usually those parties are just for gloating. It's not those are not for like, oh, come here and buy. I'll like explicitly say like, don't you, you know, you don't want to buy now. I bought way lower. You're just going to pump my bag if you want to. But you don't, you know. And then definitely later that stage, right? But I mean, anyways, the only thing I, I know is if, if people are telling you uh, this is a good investment on social media, it's just like, I'm sorry, you know, but. Well, you know, you know what happens is price goes up, new people show up and they want to understand the nature of this thing that went up. And they're yes. like, what so, did I no, miss? Why did I mean, it go up? And they want to learn. There's you know? no, what I want to say, there's scammers out there. They present themselves as if they want to teach other people, but they aren't, right? And there's a lot. And it's not, they're still not here. I haven't seen many of these spaces, but they're going to come. Yeah, not a lot of scammers <laughs> yet. They haven't gone full bore. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Elon Musk made it harder for them or something. Uh, I don't know. I get a lot of messages with, yeah, save some gas fees and then upload some stupid contract on the EVM and get <laughs> and all yeah, your yeah. money stolen from your wallet or what. Yeah. yeah, there's still some of that junk going around. But yeah, I think when the when the newbies show up, they legitimately want to learn more. Like they they're like, "Ooh, why did Chainlink go up in price? What's happening here?" And what they and then they get into that FOMO. They basically are like, "Well, I want to be exposed. I don't want to like have this thing run." And you know, I heard crypto can go up a lot. I don't want to be like, you know, I don't want to make not make money. So they show up and they go and buy, even though they shouldn't. Um, even when you tell people not to, they're like, "Okay, I'm going to buy anyway." <laughs> like you know, like it doesn't make any difference. Um, once they get in that FOMO mode, like. Yeah, if everyone else is excited, they're like, whoa, why would all these people be excited if the price wasn't going up, right? That's how, that's their mindset at that time. Yeah. Whereas Just when you've been there already, when you're in rooms this size and you've already been there for a long time, you know that, okay, all that crowd has showed up. They, they're only here because the price went up. Yeah. That's I why mean, they you're, You've got kids, Effie, you know, tell them they can't have the chocolate and see how much desire they develop to have that chocolate, you know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, some people do those like reverse psychology tweets. They're really funny. Like they'll say shit like, um, you know, um, you know, it, like, you, you know, you, you thought Chainlink was, you know, cheap at 50 bucks, but, you know, but you're not buying it at 15 bucks or whatever. <laughs> you know, yeah. like they'll say things like that where it's like, um, if you think it's, uh, you know, or, or like Chainlink will be undervalued at 140 or something like that. They'll use this language like, you know, that kind of thing. You know, it's very funny. Just uh, yeah, um, but it's just how how people. I think it's just the human nature. Probably it's just like everything's working in cycles in our brains. Like the circadian rhythm is just extrapolated to the to the seasons, and the whole thing is just linked. You know, it just gives us a sort of rhythm. There's and, truly just there's truly just like I mean I don't know. There's probably like a hundred tweets, like that are templates for like you know the most hardcore shills templates. You know the ones that are most effective. You know, the, or the like, the like the thread that is most effective, and mm -hmm. I bet you there's a way to just take all of those, bookmark those, copy those, and paste them into a list, and <laughs> then have like a little bot just simply like pump those out every day, one day, and like like at different time zones, like maybe every eight hours, pump out a tweet that has something to do with like you know, one of those standard like little um, standard shill phrases or whatever that really like have attraction, uh, and I bet you there's some like great ways to pump these type of things with that. If you if you really take it to a science, like the shilling to a science, and you end up with a lot of followers. You have a lot of what? A lot of followers. You will have a lot of followers. Oh yeah, yeah. Too. No, the trick the trick in crypto, like to have a, if you want a bunch of followers, like it's really straightforward. Like 
whatever is pumping, um, people show up to hear more about that thing, whatever's trending. And so when something's trending, people are searching the search bar for, let's say, link. And if you're posting a lot about whatever's trending, then you will tend to get your tweet will pull up when they search for it. And then they, then people follow you because they figure you're some kind of like guru about it or some shit. So like, that's what happens. Um, it's really uh, like the engagement farming on this. If you want to really be like hardcore about it, um, you would just basically just keep posting only about coins that are actually pumping at that moment. So a way to do this, if you want a bunch of followers would be like, you go, go, go to crypto bubbles or something like that. You know, it's that site that shows you like what's pumping that day. And just truly just post charts about that coin that day. Who gives a fuck if you own it or not? You don't, you don't, you just want followers. That's what you do. <laughs> like, cause people are always searching the thing that's going up. That's the rule in crypto. Nobody cares when it's on the bottom. How do I know? Cause like I'll post charts of stuff at the bottom all the time. I'm like, I'm buying this thing. Chart is wrecked. It looks awesome. You know how many likes you get? None. You know how many followers you get? None. You know how many yeah, you get? One you get? None. <laughs> yeah. From you, one from you. Yeah. <laughs> but nobody's like people are looking at the posts but they don't like you can see the views but you get nobody enthused about actually sharing when the price is down so it's a really really interesting psychology that not only do people not spend money at the bottom but they don't actually engage at all at the bottom people's brain is triggered like absolute dopamine is triggered by money number go up like at a level that's absolutely exponential like you get a hundred times the more engagement when the price is going up compares when it's going down. Like, and hundred times is probably not even correct. It's probably more than that. Like, it's just ridiculous how this, this the, the human brain works. It's, and this is not a failure, I think, of like the system as far as the, like Twitter or like the algorithms. I think the human algorithm, humans just stupid. Like, we are just idiots, basically. We, this is how we behave. Yeah, well, it's basically just a monkey brain program that used yeah, to work. Yeah, monkey brain. In, in in the evolution right but uh, yeah. you know what's really funny to me is how, how actually bruce is kind of hijacking that system with that autism token you know it's like <laughs> it's like uh, it gives it all away you know it's like uh, whatever it does you know and everyone's like what's happening <laughs> oh speaking of which that actually has a pretty decent chart now um, yeah. the people are posting that yeah like autism looked like it's um the 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 chart is actually mirroring injectives general chart so I think the AMM has sort of taken over. There's very little people that care about it at the moment. So what will happen is, is like, you know, if injective dumps more, autism will dump along with it because it's tied to the AMM. And then, but when like, so if you get injective dump, the, the injective based meme coins are easily leveraged play on injective essentially. And that would be like autism and ninja or whatever the hell else is on injective. I don't really pay attention too much to most of those, but like, but it'll go up automatically because AMM will pump it. Right. So it's like a leverage play on the ecosystem. When you buy a small cap or micro cap in, within that ecosystem tied to that AMM of that deck. So you, you, it's basically like, it's a cheap leverage play that doesn't require any, <laughs> any kind of special considerations or fees or it doesn't require any like uh you, you know you don't have to pay any uh interest or nothing like that right you just basically just get the 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 leverage um price exposure without having to worry about all the fees and shit that's why people like the the um the meme coins by the way it's like a cheap way to get game leverage pretty funny stuff yeah and uh, still kind of interesting idea that bruce had there with the autism token i like it you know he's just mind fucking with people yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's, it's a, a, a personal it has, fun project to screw with people. 
Yeah, it has the potential to do do okay um, as long as like you know he keeps talking about it and people keep you know mentioning it, whatever. Um, but yeah, like off the bottom though, like because its market cap's what like two million now or something, something silly. It's really low, so it's not hard to have these things pump uh, when the time comes. Yeah, but it's always tricky. It's always tricky though because like at some level, like let's say you have some group of followers and they they already like bought whatever you know coin you're talking about. Then that the implication is you have to like find other big influencer types that'll talk about that particular coin, right? That's what ends up having to happen. So, like, I don't know how many of those type of people that Bruce already sent coins to. Um, I know I sent some to Django and some other people, but I, yeah, I don't know exactly. The key for that is like handing out tons and tons of free coins to a lot of influencer types, and then having them talk about it. That's, that would be you're sort of paying for advertising almost. Is what and the it really thing is. can also <laughs> turn sour on you. You can't really know what 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 are you actually inviting there to work with you on on your whatever it is, right? I mean, remember what. Bruce had this issue. There <laughs> you with, get a Ben Armstrong type long, character. <laughs> no, I mean, it's like even like smaller idiots like uh, Happy Catty Crypto or someone like that. You know, it's like, not sure what to what to say there, you know, but it's like, uh, <laughs> it's not good, you know, it, it just shines a bad light in hindsight on yourself, you know. Yeah, yeah like most of these chiller types, you have to be like, um, I think the the right mindset for the Schiller is either a dimwit or a midwit. Like the right curve people, you know, tend to be in it for the tech and, you know, they, they want to be a little bit more honest about these things usually because like, you know, like, cause they're in it for the tech. They're, they're not in it to just to shill, you know, make some money off some coin or whatever. Um, like, whereas dimwit people have no problem whatsoever being like, fuck it, man. I'm, you know, I'm aping into this, you know, meme coin or this NFT or whatever. And it's going to go to the moon and like show the fuck out of it. Like, so there's that crowd that really doesn't care. And then there's this midwit crowd that is like smart enough to make a YouTube channel and like run it and all this shit. But like, maybe they're not geniuses in crypto and shit, but they're pretty good at creating some half decent YouTube content. Right. So I think it depends on the, the type of character involved with these things. Crypto is funny in that like it attracts every type. There's really no, it doesn't exclude anybody really in a sense. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of fun. Everyone's got their little, um, you know, then there's like coin bureau type folks who are always trying to like, you know, take the high road or whatever, you know, which is very funny. What's funny yeah. too is like, no matter how high your high road is, like your coin can drop 90% in a bear market. So like, it doesn't matter what you talk about. Someone's going to get wrecked at some point. It's just funny that way. It's not like stocks or something where there's like, Oh yeah, you're going to be fine. No, you know it's funny. That's really funny, noob. Is like um, over the past ten years or so, like if you watch like the trend of like you know the Bitcoin dialogue is very very funny. Like if you go early on, like Bitcoin people were just basically considered like scammers and you know like you know illicit you know drug users and shit. Like like the the level of like if you if you talked about Bitcoin, it's like oh stop it with your scamming and your shilling. Like the number of negative posts I got related to Bitcoin um, on other platforms before I came to Twitter, uh, you know, like, and now it's considered like this blue chip, you know, ETF, like boomer coin type of thing where it's like, it's a legitimate, you know, oh, you know, you shouldn't be recommending, you know, fucking shit coins. You should be only recommending Bitcoin. I'm like, where the fuck were you the last 10 years? <laughs> you know, the people that like have this like new form to like legitimacy and they have no fucking clue how volatile 
or how like scammy or how like unsafe the exchanges were and all that stuff back in the day. It's like ridiculous how um, how much holier than thou people are now. Oh, you should be only talking about Bitcoin. That's the responsible choice. Like fucking get out of here. Like, like the reason it's the responsible choice guys shield that fucking thing for over a decade. And that's how you get to that. Like it doesn't, didn't get there through magic. It's got there through relentless fucking shilling for like a significant portion of my lifetime. It's like ridiculous. Like <laughs> I find it very funny though. Interesting history. And I think that's the same thing with most of these things. That's why they have that kind of phrase, you know, like first they fight you and then they, you know, make fun of you and then they join you or whatever. I forget the name of that. I don't forget how that like phrase goes, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, but, uh, you know, by technical developments, a lot of the times it just happened in any kind of field, right? We just think back in the internet when they, when people were file sharing and and like Napster and shit, right? And and everyone was like, oh my god, this is gonna end the music industry. You know, today everyone's file sharing and just pay a flat fee for it, right? So, so who cares? So it 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 was the right concept, and it just took like I don't know how many years like 20 years to actually <laughs> be where we are at so it's yep. just i think it's just the way it, it works people are not very open to new things <laughs> yeah there's also this simple. like uh there's a speculative giga pump that happens too um you know uh like for example um take 3d printing is a great example um so back when 3d studio and stratasys and some of these others were like making um headlines a number of years ago i forget when it was exactly was it 20 when did stratasys pump let me pull up the chart it's just an interesting story um so what <laughs> so what, what happened at the time um let me hold on a second this ssys stratasys yeah it'll i'll pull up the chart just to remind myself what the years and kind of timeline was yeah so um so if you pull up ssys which is stratasys it's a 3d printing company um yeah its peak was um september 2013 i can't believe it's been that long fuck 2013 um i'm getting old um but it ran from like um you know like the stock price ran from um september of 2000 um which is where their bottom was so like at the bottom so they crashed during the dot-com bubble they were actually around during that time and they crashed around that time with the rest of the stock market and the NASDAQ. And then by 2004, they'd run up to about 18 bucks. They pulled back um, to like $7 in 2009 with the, um, you know, during the financial crisis crash in the stock market. And then you had this giga run for, for um, to $130 um, level for Stratasys. And at the time, like if you were there, like what was going on is there was tons and tons of, um, uh, media attention on 3D printing being the future of, uh, you know, everything like, oh, we're going to be printing your heart. We're going to be printing your, a new dick for you, whatever. Like, like it was crazy, like excitement about, um, this. And what happened was is there were ETFs and things that were centered around this as well. And everything just gigapent, like Stratasys, 3D systems, whatever had anything to do with 3D printing, Hewlett Packard, whatever, everything sort of pumped. And, like if you look at the price of it back then, it was around 133. The price of Stratasys uh, most recently was about nine dollars and eighty cents. They're having trouble, like you know, making ends meet, and their 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 deal with 3D systems to merge was failed or whatever. And um, to this day, like none of us, like very few of us, have a 3D printer in our house. 
and we're actually like printing our dishes or something, right? Like, like the number of like implementations of this, this, the price of an asset can dramatically pump in a bubble status long before the, the actual asset class or even the product is useful. And that's not to say 3D printing is not being used now. You're in the industry, like 3D printing is being used for certain things. But like, when is it going to be like important enough that Stratus is making money and their stock price is worth, you know, $138 again, like it was in 2013? I mean, hell, that may take another 10 years. So you might take like, it might be like a 20-year time scale between when the first hype cycle for a for an asset runs and then like the crash and then actually picking back up again. So that's what's interesting about crypto is those cycles are much, much shorter, but they definitely happen in other, in the stock market. Yeah, you know, what's interesting with 3D printing is back in the day when this all came out and they're like companies providing services and whatnot and selling you the machines for at home use. So I use them on a regular basis. I order almost parts every second day and a lot. You know, it's really a lot. So, um, and I've been following this market. I'm active in this market for a long time. And the thing is, back in the day when these stock companies came out, I was like, yeah, hell, how are they going to make money? Because that shit's so cheap over in Asia compared to everything else. You know, it's, you're not just going to compete. If there's someone with a decent quantity, let's say you need 100 parts of whatever kind, where it doesn't make sense to open an intrusion mold or whatever, they're going to order it in Asia, you know, and if it's like 10 pieces, it's not worth the effort to open a bloody invoice and, and deal with the shit, right? So that's, that was just my idea from a rather, let's say, realistic perspective. And I was like, yeah, but you, if yeah. you're outside of an industry, you never know what's going to work out. It takes a lot of, let's say, knowledge. Like, let's say you are like in well, crypto for yeah. so much time and you get an idea that Link actually has a use case on the long run and that's why you're in it for it right so it's like with with knowledge there comes a certainty that you can trust your own decisions in a, a way. flip side of I, that too is like if you had right curved it too much you'd have missed the run-up for the 3d printing pump and would have not like jumped in right because you'd be like ah oh, this is stupid it makes no sense and you would have missed, yeah, a missed part of, of do these companies really make money i mean the, the stock price yeah. is a completely different thing you look at we works that stupid thing went to shit zero, right? I mean, this <laughs> is like IPO'd and then it never made right. any money. It's just like, there's this kind of stuff happening all the time in the stock market. So that's apart from that. But these companies still have a chance and probably a future. You know, this tech is getting better and they will have a use case. And if they're the last survivor, they will make a shit ton of money down the road, right? Yeah, Ian had a question. Ian or comment. What's up, man? Hey, Seppi. Um, I am uh, admittedly a, a normie. I follow you because I always learn something when I pop into your spaces, whether it's about crypto or about your your uh, method of value investing in the stock market and whatnot. And yeah. Is, is it inappropriate if I ask about a different coin that's not? No, go ahead. The, so um, I was just perusing, uh, you know, my uh, Coinbase and looking at the movers and stuff, and I noticed uh -huh. there was one coin that was down a bunch, and so I looked into it, and I just uh, liked the chart. It's called it um, it? Zeta. Z-E-T-A. Okay. It, it appealed to me because it's basically brand, brand new. And I just liked the chart was like basing where it was. I just wanted to know if you knew anything about it just because it's so new. Um, um, you know. I do not. Let me look at the sort of like chart of this thing and what's going to be going on. Um, I'm trying to see, okay, where, which, which uh, exchange has the longest price action on this thing? Did it come? Do you know where it came out? Did it come out on KuCoin or Coinbase? Or I don't know, but I but I, I, I the only charts I've been able to find it literally started trading on the uh, on the first. 
of on, this month. on Coinbase, right? Yeah. A lot of stuff starts first elsewhere. So let me see if I can find um, um, maybe on Bitfinex or somewhere where it might have come out sooner. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, it looks like everyone's had it. Yeah, it's pretty new. Like it almost came out maybe in just January. It's it's interesting that it's already on Coinbase though. Um which is usually a bullish thing going into a bull market. Um and what it did was it went from like 66 cents so it it kind of opened at $2 or some probably some bullshit price and then it dumped like in, to 65 cents. It popped to around um 250. Let me see what happened. Like maybe it got listed at Coinbase around that time. So there's a tendency to pump right, like right around that time. So yeah, February the. Um, it looks like it was on January 31st. It was on Coinbase, and then yeah, so it gets listed on Coinbase, and then that is used as exit liquidity, which oftentimes happens, by the way. And then it dumped to 65 cents, and then on Coinbase ran to two dollars and twelve. It's now a dollar forty three. Now let me go to coin market cap real quick and see what um let's see, Zeta chain. Uh what the deal is here. Okay, so it's um me, okay, so this will show you if you look at the max chart, yeah, it is quite new. Even even they show January thirty first as a starter date um for at least coin market caps. I'm sorry, coin gecko's history, not coin market cap, sorry. Um, so yeah, for sure, like the listing, the subsequent dump, and then sort of like it ran to a dollar eighty. Here it says a dollar eighty-seven. I'm not sure if that's correct or not, but it's now already market cap ranked one thirty-eight, which is quite high. Um, and its market cap is three hundred forty-four million already, which is fairly high for a brand new project. Which means it got released at a fairly high initial price. Its fully diluted valuation is already like $3 billion, which is pretty damn high. Like whatever this thing, and it has like a um, 2 billion, 100 million supply or something, of which only 236 million is circulating. So there's a lot of inflation sort of like remaining in this coin and like only 10% of it's actually circulating. So be buyer beware a little bit here. This is one of those where now, like, again, I might be right curving this a bit. I have no idea what this thing does. What is Zeta Chain, a novel L1 with chain agnostic interoperability between Cosmos, Bitcoin, Dogecoin, Tron, and EVM? So they actually put IBC and EVM compatibility into this chain, making it um, pretty interesting. And its founder was like one of the creators of Basic Attention Token, which has been sitting around for the last decade doing a whole lot of nothing. Um, okay, so interesting. Um, yeah, it might be a fun speculative gamble, but like, you know, is it at a kind of price that is really a comfortable buy? I would say probably not. Um, like if this thing was sub 100 million market cap, like had you picked this up at like, oh, I don't know, like 67 cents where it was at the bottom, maybe it would have been a decent sort of purchase. Here, I would say it's already kind of lofty for a brand new chain that nobody knows about. Um, if that helps, I, I don't know. Um, I think if yeah, you that, were, yeah, that, that's, 
that's what I that's what I was just looking for. Your your kind of opinion on, on based on the data you you have access to. I appreciate it. It does look interesting. I mean, it looks like a um, there's some rationality to their design choice of making it Ethereum and Cosmos compatible, as well as like interoperability with. Um, so I'm not sure how they made it interoperable with ERC. I'm not sorry. Um, not BRC20. Um, for UTXO chains like Dogecoin and Bitcoin and stuff. I'm not sure what they did, but um, it could be um, a strong play going into bull market in that it's at least you're kind of relatively early into knowing about it. But the way that you normally would buy these types of chains is you would make the assumption that when you open up this thing with the 3 billion fully, fully diluted valuation, and a market cap of 340 million, you make the assumption it's going to go down a lot. In fact, like the initial pump was probably because of listing on Coinbase. And like the valuation is absurdly high. Um, it's 24 trading volume is only 112 million. Um, well, I say only for a market cap of 344 million. That's not bad. But um, I suspect a lot of that is going to be selling volume on the way down. If I had to guess, like if I was buying this, I'd be like, all right, I, I want this thing to have a market cap of less than 100 mil, maybe less than 50 mil. I don't know. Um, and a lot of dilution involved here. So like just as a market comparable, let's look and see. So this is a 340 million market cap with a 3 billion fully diluted valuation. Let's compare like Celestia, which is like um, a prominent uh coin in this regard like at this point it's at oh well it's not a good comparable now it's at three billion mark cap already with the fdv of 18 billion so celestia is kind of like seriously overvalued already too um but yeah like it's possible for things with a high fully diluted valuation to just pump like crazy just because people are nuts as well so never underestimate exuberant markets but um is it like a fair price here probably not um, you know, I don't, I'm not sure how much multiples this thing will do. Um, if I was going to be picking between different things. So like, if I was like, if I'm going to put my money into something at this level, uh, the coin we were talking about earlier, which is Zephyr, which is like at a 30 or 40 million market cap, um, who has already gone to $52 and dropped all the way down to 10 again, that's probably a better dip. Uh, this one uh, with Zeta Chain, like let's assume it peaked out here at about um, two dollars and ten cents or something. It pulled back only thirty six percent so far. Normally, with these type of things, a pullback of around like eighty percent would be pretty common. If you pulled this sucker back eighty percent, we'd be down at like. Uh, let me tell you the price. We'd be down at like 41 cents. So I would say like if you're getting into something like this, you would scale in exponentially on the way down. Meaning like let's say you bought some today at a buck 40. Um, let's say you bought, you know, 10 bucks worth here. If it goes down 10%, you get 20 bucks. If it goes down another 10% from from this price, like, you know, you you make yourself a little grid and each 10% you you double your buy to be like 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, like that. So you would you would allocate your capital that way all the way to the very bottom. And an 80% pullback would be very typical. 
Zephyr is another one that we were just talking about earlier. It it pumped all the way to like $52, where its market cap was a hundred and something million. And then it pulled back about 80% all the way down to like 10 bucks. And um and and now it's at like a proper valuation. So if you look at Zephyr's chart in comparison and you just like which is Z E P H and you go look at that difference, you go, okay, like this is a much more like it's reached a value proposition that makes more sense. Another comparable would be Kujira. Kujira is an, a layer one chain with really, really good like user interface execution, known, you know, by people that um, you know we've met over the years. And um, it went to like five dollars and fifty cents, and it has dropped all the way down to two ninety. So that's a pretty good pullback. Uh, let's see what percentage pullback is that. It pulled back. Um, already 47% and kind of bounced off of that. That's a pretty good pullback and off of a top, especially in a bull market for a decent layer one. Could it go down a little bit more? Sure. But I'd say at the valuation you're talking about, which is again, in that similar, you know, three to $400 million range, like Kujira is just way better valued than, um, than Zeta is at the moment. And so what you're witnessing, Ian, is you're seeing a coin come out in the market and being like, I have you ever dealt with IPOs and stocks at all? Like, have you ever bought any IPOs, like Coinbase or something like that? Yeah, yeah, sure. You know how those IPOs can be like dramatically overvalued and then dump like crazy afterwards. Um, crypto does yeah. that a lot, <laughs> so be very aware that like in a bull market, the developers are looking to take advantage of people being largely naive, naive as far as market valuations, and they'll like. The coin will come out at some obscene market cap, which makes no sense whatsoever. And so you go into negative price discovery for quite a long time until you, you know, things look more rational. Now, when rationality emerges, you never know. Like maybe Zeta Chain's amazing. Maybe I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So if the fundamentals are really, really like giga bullish for some reason, you could you could defy fundamentals entirely. I mean, technical and uh, financial stuff entirely, and just pump. But at the same time, like, um, you know, something like this, usually you're better off if you set a bookmark to, like, uh, pick it up if they pull up, pull back like 80% or so from their initial uh, price action. So, yeah, dangerous kinds of stuff. And there's a lot of examples of this where they'll come out way overvalued and then dump big time for months and months to come. Yeah, so, I appreciate it. And then uh, last question, I just was yep. curious. So is there any, you know, for instance, in stocks and stuff, if an IPO comes out, you know, typically there's a bunch of insiders that own a bunch of shares, they can't sell exactly. it right away. Um, they have a lockout period or whatever. Is there any way for you to know, like you said, there's a bunch of like, I guess, uh, you know, coins outstanding. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So me meaning a lot come to market. Are there any restrictions on like, you know, like yeah. timeframes? Every single coin is different in that regard. So remember, it's an unregulated sort of industry. So they create these like, you know, what's, you know, more or less function like security securities. And what happens is, is that each of them has different timeframes. So if you go to their um, website or whatever, in fact, let me pull it up. Let me see what they have, what they're saying about it. I'm actually curious about this one. It seems interesting. The fact that it got onto Coinbase relatively early is actually a bullish thing, which is, um, whatever the hell this thing is, let's see. So uh, let's see, um, so if you go to their site, you'll usually pull up their, um, 
let's see, 14 million cross-chain transactions, 200 plus ecosystem partners, 3 million testnet users, one entry point for all of crypto. So it's like multi, um, like their whole game is to start out highly multi-chain compatible. Um, they've got, um, I'm trying to look and see. So they've got some NFTs. There's some investor, I don't know, um, I'm looking, for the, I'm looking for the tokenomics here. Um, exactly. Yeah, their partnerships and whatever. Mm. Let's see. Okay, wait. Now there's partnerships here. They're using Pyth instead of Chainlink as their primary system. Um, so they don't have Chainlink CCIP yet, which uh, they probably ought to. Um, let me see what's unique about it, how secure, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to find the. Um, the the data on the token distribution here uh for just a second here let's see it's a partnership with sushi swap and curve since they're ebm compatible um let's see their white paper here yeah, if you dig into the white paper it's going to take a bit to go through it but like the white paper on here will pretty much tell you um, on their website it'll probably tell you their token distribution somewhere in here um it's like a 34 page thing so like i don't know where it is but if you dig through it it'll probably tell you something about um actually i don't think they did i don't think they put in details and i don't know if they're a proof of work system either so when you see that only part of the circulating supply is actually circulating it could be that there's like coins that haven't hit the market, but they're programmatically designed to do so. Um, or there could be like an inflationary, uh, they could have an inflationary network similar to like proof of stake networks where the coins are going to be released over a period of time or something like that. So I'm not sure exactly how this works. Um, yeah, I'd have to read the white paper, but it does look like a generally interesting sort of project, actually, which is probably um, why Coinbase listed it fairly early. Because Coinbase doesn't usually do that. Like this white paper is like February 22nd, 2023, relatively new project, even for the white paper. Um, and it's unusual for Coinbase to list that early unless they somehow were able to either partner with them or something. I don't know how they did that. Oh, here we go. It is a, at a high level, it's a proof of stake blockchain built on Cosmos SDK. So it is built on Cosmos. Zeta is a Cosmos chain. Um, and Tendermint BP, uh, PBFT consensus engine, uh, fast block time, uh, blah, blah, blah. Let's see, throughput of transactions, 4,000 per second. Uh, architecture, uh, let's see. Yeah, I mean, I guess like at this market cap, at like today, if you, I was going to pick between Kujira and this. Kujira is also a Cosmos chain, by the way, um, or something like Injective. Today, I think the risk reward ratio at current price levels is probably for Kuji instead of this KUJI, and that would be probably like the comparable thing. It is not on Coinbase. You have to go to like either Mexi or you have to go to Osmosis, the Dex, to get it. But um, that's probably the more um, uh, like uh, immediately um, obvious one that has nice pullback. Um, but this is this has a different sort of um, implementation. This is more like a polygon type of idea where 
they're functioning sort of as an Ethereum um, compatible chain. So that's what Polygon is. Polygon, if you're aware of that one, is a it's a Cosmos chain also, but it's a layer two for Ethereum. Um, so it's a Cosmos chain in the Ethereum ecosystem, if that makes any sense. And that's a little bit of what this is. Um, Zeta chain is designed to be both IBC and Ethereum compatible. So that appears to be the game these days. So anyway, yep. So if you buy, if you buy this one, you should be willing to hold it for probably like five years to be sure that you do well. Like, you know, you know that the price dumps to wherever it's going to go. It recovers, it moons at some point, whatever, but you, you have to be willing to, uh, hold it for a while, I think. Just in case it dumps. All <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, I, you, well, I really mind. appreciate. Yeah, I, pre- I appreciate you looking into it, and I appreciate all of your uh, sharing all your your knowledge and understanding. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, this one looks. It is legitimately looks interesting. It's. It doesn't look like some kind of scam or anything. Um, if it's on Coinbase. They usually do their research. I think it's looks pretty interesting. Mm, I'm looking a little bit about this. Like, yeah, they talk about connecting Polygon, build a send it to Zeta Chain to ethereum amms um so it's like a like a cross chain between even layer twos on ethereum um yeah you have polygon and then you have like how does bitcoin work here outbound transactions uh matic eth and btc pools within zeta chain so zeta chain has some kind of pool with um bitcoin so in the bottom of the white paper they actually reference thorchain which makes me think that they have forked some of Thorchain's code and stuck it into Zeta Chain, and therefore allowing you to make direct Bitcoin transactions using a BTC wallet. Uh, in other words, you would not like you'd be able to use this without going to a centralized exchange. In theory, if you had BTC, um, let me see if this is true. I think that's what it is. Um, I suspect they probably forked. Mm, the only thing that they did not do yet, look, so they have contracts coming through Solana, SPL NFT, Algrand, ASA NFTs, ERC 721 NFTX, which is a different thing. So they're looking to like connect the major blockchains out there together. Um, we already know consensus mechanism, TenderMet consensus works. So we know that it's a, likely to be a secure chain. Um, because like historically cosmos chains have been successful yeah one of their references in here in the white paper at the bottom jaquan ethan buckman cosmos um they have reference to else thorchain synapse protocol caleb bannister and ryan zarek brian pellegrino in layer zero trustless omnichain so yeah they're trying to be kind of a layer zero type of project that allows you to connect everything without a centralized exchange but also be able to do smart contracts and whatnot so this is like uh, a lot of the benefits of thorchain but with also the benefits of an actual cosmos blockchain whereas thorchain does not do any smart contracts um on on chain that um that um people can actually like deploy dApps and things on i think um let me see here yeah, this is pretty cool, actually. It's good to bring it. Good you brought it up. 
Um, and, and not to suggest that it won't mm-hmm. dump, you know, because of like yeah, you yeah. said, the, just the, just, just the, you know, tokenomics of it all, but because of, you know, the fact that you seem to think that, you know, based on its coin base, uh, association and what you're reading that, you know, yeah, do, the, do you think there's less of a chance it dumps 80%, maybe only 40? <laughs> yeah, no, not really. <laughs> and so the way these things work is, um, price discovery to the downside with speculative assets almost always do 80 to 90% dumps at some point. And this was true of, I, I covered this this morning, like Ethereum from the 2018 um, pump downward was like a 95% drop. And then the next, the last season was like an 80 something percent drop. So just that's Ethereum. So just that gives an idea. Legitimacy of the project has nothing to do with the speculative price action at all. It really doesn't. It's not like, it's not like stocks and things that have like dividends or fundamentals that you follow that like, you know, might clarify the valuation. These things go to overvalued, like the moment they arrive, like the moment they're listed, they're overvalued essentially. So you always want to be super, super careful. Now you can make a lot more mistakes in a bear market. I mean, a bull market, I'm sorry, because in a bull market, when you, especially early in a bull market, like the gamble is that, you know, all sorts of retard money comes in, retard energy comes in, buys everything. Don't they don't, and that group does not care about the, the fundamentals and all that shit. So, but in a bear market, like where people get sucked into this, they see their bull market gains, they think they're geniuses, and all of a sudden the bear market will strip most of that away because most of it's just speculative multiples. Uh, and it's true, it happens in the stock market too. It's just pretty top, typical stuff. Um, so I, I don't think it's something to be worried about. These are, these are the kind of projects that like, the way to do with them, do, deal with them, if you don't want to like really be bothered by just paying attention to this damn thing, is you get a small moon bag and you leave it there and if it does amazing things in the future and it 100x is great if it doesn't if it goes to zero or like you know it drops 90 percent, and your thousand bucks is now worth 100 you materially do not care like that's the way to think about it with these all these new chains um so the the thing we were talking about earlier with Chainlink is that like so what's important to understand that's happening in the crypto space is you have cosmos chains that are all connected with IBC, which is inter-blockchain communication. You have Cosmos chains being built out to connect to Ethereum, like Polygon, like this one, Zeta, like um, a variety of others that are doing similar things. Um, Evmos was one of them and stuff. Um, do these things get a lot of users, though? Mm, that's that's debatable. The thing is, like a lot of people can make a lot of chains. It takes a long time to get a big user base. Um, people in Cosmos, like Sommelier and stuff, have been connecting to evm based things for quite some time now and their market caps are still relatively small um and you know user traction may not be as much as people think the second thing so one is lots of chains are coming out right now um two is it's really cheap to build a new chain compared to what it used to be uh so market fragmentation is getting big ian imagine if like you had a million different smartphone manufacturers and everyone was buying all sorts of different ones um, you have a tendency to have one or two winners, but you have a lot of the, lot, lot just dangle around. Uh, the other big thing, the other gigantic development is, of course, co- uh, Chainlink's uh, CCIP uh, cross-chain protocol, which means that like any chain that implements CCIP, which this one did not, by the way, which they probably ought to if they haven't already, uh, is that when you incorporate Chainlink's CCIP messaging, you can connect to all other Chainlink um, CCIP incorporated chains. The ones that are incorporated so far are Polygon, uh, Arbitrum, 
optimism uh things like gmx i think sushi swap on ethereum um and a variety of other things have incorporated this and what that mean and circle and um you know with usdc is integrated into ccip so what does that mean it means that if i were to stop to start a blockchain today whether it's zeta or something else i incorporate that ccp uh, ccip messaging protocol what will happen is i can immediately have access to any asset that's also connected to ccip of any of those chains and it's just pure magic you can quite literally like trade like you could create a bot trading platform using stuff on arbitrum and stuff on you know optimism or wherever they are and you could use them um and you can even use liquid staked assets that are in the ccip architecture so it makes for amazing cross-chain capabilities so if you were to say like you are bullish on zeta for whatever reason because of cross-chain capabilities um you know that same bullishness essentially translates to chain length which is why most of us bought chain length um this last few months is because of just the ridiculous amount of like capabilities that it has and what ccip does actually in is it it eliminates the need for zeta chain in sense entirely because ccip allows any chain that incorporates that infrastructure to automatically talk to all other chains that have it so i think the the trend for the next two years is going to be more and more chains incorporating ccip um, and not necessarily brand new chains emerging that do cross-chain shit because like you don't need to be like you don't have to have a complex cross-chain infrastructure to start a new chain anymore which by the way could have bugs and hacks and other problems that could emerge you can just incorporate Chainlink CCIP and next thing you know, you're connected to the entire world of the, um, you're sort of like connected to the financial internet, so to speak. So Chainlink's sort of like making its name in that space besides the Oracle capabilities. And the other thing this doesn't have, Zeta Chain does not have an Oracle in it from the, you know, read of the white paper I just sort of like skimmed through. So the lack of Oracle price feeds within the ecosystem means they would still need Chainlink or something else to provide oracle feeds for all of their services i believe they're tied with pith network pyth which is like a chain link competitor what chain what pith does not have though it doesn't have the ccip capabilities that um that Chainlink has which is the cross-chain protocol so pith has oracles which means price feeds it does not have price feeds plus the cross-chain capability so interesting um that they decided to um choose pith and they probably did that because it's cheaper um, but other big platforms like GMX, which is a perps trading platform and others have decided to use CCIP, even though it's more expensive because it's more useful, um, generally speaking. So, um, yeah, interesting stuff. Um, but like the landscape for cross-chain stuff is getting interesting, uh, generally speaking. So a lot of interesting projects are, are, I, I believe going to emerge that will, uh, be seeking to connect to both Cosmos and Ethereum. At last bull market essentially showed us that basically Cosmos um, was one of the most effective builders in the space, along with Ethereum EVM based stuff. And this Zeta protocol is just one more example of how e how like you can spin up a Cosmos chain uh, relatively inexpensively. I think the problem going forward the next five years though is not how easy to spin up a chain; it's how do you attract users to that chain and how do you attract capital when there's so many options out there. I mean, you have, you have a Kajira, you have a Ian, what you should do is actually go and try to use the chain if you're going to put any specific amount of money into this thing. Like, like use it and go, wait a minute, how cool is this thing? Which wallet do I have to use? Do I use, 
you know, am I using Kepler? Am I using um, MetaMask? How am I interacting with this thing? Um, how good is the actual user experience compared to say Kujira? I would say like Kuji uh, is going to be your like reference standard as far as user interface because it's so so good. And then you ask yourself, okay, like if users tend to use beautiful user interfaces, DeFi apps are pretty much similar no matter where the hell you go. It doesn't really make any difference. All the same copy and paste shit. So people want a if they're going to go to Chuck E. Cheese, they want to play at the prettiest video games. They want to go to the Dave and Buster's, not Chuck E. Cheese. And so, like, how good is the user interface, the user experience? And then simultaneously, like, how many assets are on that chain that you can play with? That usually has a huge um, role to play in terms of how many new people are going to come buy that, you know, buy the coin of that chain or whatever. So, yeah, interesting. Um, I, I don't know. I, like, it, I was going to say, I don't know, like, how they got relative early listing with coinbase it could be that they have some venture capital investors and stuff the white paper did not clarify by the way what their tokenomics was in terms of distribution there's probably somewhere you can find that information but what you'd want to see is like did do they set aside a lot of team tokens they give a lot of coins to coinbase to be market making them like how did that work exactly because it's interesting how um, how they got on exchanges relatively quickly, because that's usually hard to do unless you're willing to spend a lot of money. Uh, in fact, let me see real quick um, on them. I'm curious, actually, on this one, where what, where they're listed. They're already listed on Gate, KuCoin, Bybit, OKX, Coinbase, Mexi, BitGet, Bitfinex. I mean, like they're like on a lot of stuff. They're not on Binance yet. Um, they're on crypto.com. So if they're on a bunch of US exchanges, I wonder if they're like, they're somehow legal compliant or some shit too or something. Because it's interesting how many people they got onto, especially US exchanges. Um, interesting though. And usually when you see that happen, when a bunch of exchanges list early on, it almost always means there's venture capital involved. And those venture capital are going to dump on you at some point. <laughs> and because that's the only way they could have afforded getting onto all these exchanges, if that makes sense. So there's lots lot you can learn just by the the like initial launch and what's going on with it. But you were saying something? Oh yeah, sorry, I had to get to my mute button. Um, yeah. yeah, well, it was a question of a different kind. I don't want to, you know, hijack your space or, or whatever, oh, no, but if no, you're, no. yeah, so, so, you know, okay. So then, you know how you're talking about, you know, you're saying, oh, you know, one of my recommendations that you go and try to use the damn thing, figure out what wallet you needed in, see what the experience is like and yada. So, uh, and you know, a lot of these coins, um, uh, their utility, um, you know, is 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 relatively uh, minimal. You're looking for something in the future that's really going to take off. You know, there. You know, anyways, I, I, I'm you know, I'm just saying. Yeah, there's, there's coins like a tell. coin, like yeah. So there's coins like a coin. Like, I don't know if you know what Demo is. D I M O. It's like they they have a they have like um a device where people put into their car that collects data um, of their driving. Uh, you know, that they connect to if they want, they can connect to insurance and get a better rate. They also have a connected to you know the ability if, if they want to sell their car in the future uh mm -hmm. they'll they'll be able to sell it for potentially a better price because they'll th that 
you know, that uh, blockchain will have all of their maintenance records and whatever. And anybody, any companies that want to- What's the ticker on this thing? D-I-M-O, D-I-M-O. Yeah, and then any any companies like, you know, I don't know, like a CarMax or whatever, if they want to buy the data from Demo, they need to buy it in 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 Demo coins or whatever. So there's a like in that sense. So you know, anybody who wants access to the this this data that's collected about that uh, about vehicle. you know, yeah, the vehicle, they need to basically they they need to buy the coin in order to pay for the data so there's demand built in potentially to the project if it succeeds are there other coins like that where they have yes yes in fact there's one on i remember listening to an ama or talking to the founder of a another one um it's on the e-gold network the 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 metaverse x network and that was something a couple years ago that was happening now i don't know if they continue to be in business or they are i don't forget the name of the ticker exactly too but there was stuff like this i've heard about um the other company that is actually like put out something a- along this line again is Chainlink, because Chainlink said hey look uh you know when all these things are connected one of the data layers that we can connect basically is things like car information or you know watch information for a collector's item or something like that so a lot of the things that like VeChain and things like Demo and others have promised, uh, Chainlink is trying to connect basically all data to all data. So you could argue that Chainlink is a competitor to everything in, in that respect for, for real world asset type integrations. So yes, there are people working on it. And the thing I worry about these smaller projects is, and you know, it's made, it's gotten to a decent market cap, like it's 374. Its market cap is already like 94 mil. And um, it's got about like $556,000 trading volume, which is not very high. Um, it's got an FDV of about $465 million. So it's, a, it's running kind of hot already. I think it would have been pretty good if you bought it like, you know, during the like, you know, like probably at, at nickel or whatever. It's now at like 46 cents. These things during a bull market can run like crazy on these narratives. So now where did you hear about this one? Did you hear about it on like a YouTube or like how, how did you, how did you, how you heard about it matters a lot because it tells me something about like the virality of the thing. Like you heard about it where? No, I, I, I once in a while I will scan the top movers in Coinbase and then okay. go look and then go look them up and see what they're yeah. all about and is it sure. interesting and blah blah blah. So this one's also on Coinbase then. Yeah, yeah. That's right. uh, let's see, it's on Coinbase Gate, XT, Quick Spot. Yeah, it's about on eight exchanges. It's another one of those that listed early on Coinbase, so it might be one of those uh, that, um, yeah, it's another one of these decentralized physical infrastructure D-pin narrative coins. Um, now, a lot of the D-pin stuff is sort of like pumped already to some extent. So the thing is like, is this at a good valuation now or do you wait for a pullback? I don't know the answer to that question. Um, but I know a lot of this D-pin stuff has already sort of run for a little bit. Uh, in terms of, so it might be one to put on your watch list. So one thing to do on watch list too is like pick a support price that's lower and it's just an alarm for yourself. So if you have like a half dozen thing you've sort of semi-researched and you're like, I don't know if this is a good price right now, but I'll just put an alarm at a lower price. The other trick you can do, Ian, is buy like a dollar worth of it. And if you have a dollar worth of it, then you'll automatically have a watch list from the time that you bought it. And you'll know, you know, you're like you have a habit of always buying things like 
you know, after they've pulled back, but then, you know, maybe you have like a, a percentage even it drops even lower than what you bought it at. Then you're like, okay, I can, I can be sure I can jump in now. Um, so yeah, if it's interesting, there may be ways to sort of, um, mitigate your like, you know, downside or whatever by picking these things up really at the very bottom when you can. But, um, yes, happy. Thank you. I appreciate it. So many, I, I, the warning though would be so many of these type of things show up and they pump like crazy and then they dump into oblivion, never coming to come back again. So like <laughs> these little, these little, like, especially this physical infrastructure, anything that results in anything that's involved with real world, anything sounds great in pra in theory, like cars or, you know, supply chains like VeChain or all sorts of stuff sounds great in theory. But the problem is, is that, you know, with these type of projects, unless they definitively have an inked out agreement with like your CarMaxes or whoever, like they're already a partner. The question is, is this vaporware? And a lot of these companies will claim they're going to be able to connect to who knows what and who knows why, but they never really do. And then like they just die off into oblivion. So especially the stuff that's related to real world assets, you have to be super careful about. That has been a narrative this season, like, oh, real world assets, RWAs, like and all this sort of business. But to me, like my play for RWAs this season is Chainlink. And the reason is because it's like, it's the, it's the best of like, it's undervalued, relatively speaking. And they actually have credible execution. It's a company that actually is talking to tons and tons of different, you know, groups and companies. And that's their whole mantra is connecting all everything, all existing computer systems, all financial systems and all blockchain systems together. And it seems like there's going to be one winner in that race. Because here's the thing, if you're a new blockchain or you're a company, let's say you're a Walmart or you are a CarMax, do you want to connect to a half dozen companies that do this? Or do you want to pick, figure out which one's going to be the market winner and then try to pick the one and try to gamble on your, you know, connecting to this? Probably not. Or are you going to take the thing that's going to connect to everything and try to connect to that? Usually that's what ends up happening in the tech space is somebody monopolizes the whole game. That's why, like, to me, in the RWA space so far, and I could be completely wrong about this in the sense that maybe there's some other projects that are really, really compelling. But in the RWA space, like, this, the group that seems like they've been battling this the longest, like 2019 and, you know, before 2019, um, is Chainlink. They've been around the longest, and therefore, they've created the most partnerships. So Chainlink, for example, is connecting with, like, they have experimental partnerships with the SWIFT banking system, which does, like, $5 trillion you know, of assets move per day or something. Their DTCC, which is the clearinghouse for the stocks for the United States, uh, all the stocks in the United States pretty much clear through there. So like those are the kind of partnerships they're looking at plus real world assets like cars and other assets. But the point is their messaging structure for the, the their, their, their database structure, so to speak, is like compatible with all this shit already and they're they're planning for every type of asset including cars or collectibles or just whatever and they're creating kind of an operating system for all this i suspect that if they're able to execute like they claim they are then then most other things are going to want to connect to that because then you could you could basically use a ccip contract if you have a car let's say and it's listed within their ecosystem you could then go and borrow off of that 
you know, car, you know, like you could use it as collateral theoretically or something at some future point on chain with these systems, because now banking and stock market, everything is combined, right? So if you have a place where everything's combined, what happens is your portfolio, which includes maybe your stock portfolio and your car and whatever could be used as collateral for a future loan. And it's all in one place. So I think the market's going to be unforgiving for heavily fragmenting that type of data structure. And it it's going to, the market's going to tend to pick a few winners like that are the most secure, the most widely adopted and the most widely sort of like um, available or whatever. It's like kind of like internet TCI, TCP IP is ended becoming the winner. You could create other protocols for how to, how to run the internet, but TCIP became the standard um, or whatever. I think those kind of standards tend to stick. Um, and I think in real world assets, Chainlink's the most obvious play in that regard. Um, th but there are others. If you type RWAs, so there's this, there's what you just pointed out, and there's quite a few others out there. Um, and and this is not to say that, by the way, this this thing might not you know go crazy and pump like crazy. And you're going to hear me and be like, oh, I didn't buy enough because he said X, Y, and Z or something. All, all these things can moon like crazy valuations in bull markets. Um, you're like, you know, these things can go to like 1 billion valuations. You're like, they have no rational reason to be there because um, people just start buying shit. Seriously, they'll just hop onto Coinbase. The number's going up and they'll just start adding to their. There's a very common practice in crypto in that people see green candles or like, you know, maybe their Coinbase app or whatever, like sets and sends an alert. And they start researching these things that have gone up. And that's how, that's why I was asking you earlier, like, how'd you hear about it? Because if you heard about it because you saw some green on Coinbase, it's usually too late by then to be jumping into them. So just be very careful about that. Um, because like once those two things don't trigger until like, you know, coins really pumping. So, <laughs> and by the time we pay attention and bother to buy them, it's too late. Um, I've fallen into that trap many a time. Yeah, I've I've done the buy things going up thing, and so I started looking at the buy things that are down. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, 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 you get a lot more um, comfort knowing that your downside is already sort of like limited. So in crypto, because you have such extreme volatility, and people love that about it, you know, you can find good deals all the time, and um, you know, but yeah, eighty percent retracement from tops would be a generally good entry points for a lot of these things. Now, you could sometimes be like in the middle of a pullback, you know, right in a small pullback for a larger run. Um, but I'd say like, if you looked at Demo, for example, it went from, you know, like a, you know, 10 million market cap to 100 million market cap already. Um, and that's a pretty good run for this style of project already. I'd say it's already pretty hot in terms of the valuation. But that's but that's why like the virality matters. Like, how did I first hear about this? Oh yeah, I first heard about it because there's a green candle somewhere. <laughs> like those things, you should almost make a note to yourself, like in a notebook. Like, wait a minute, why did I get this again? And um, was it because the green number went up, or was it because it legitimately had like profound research saying this is an amazing thing? And those are very different things. Uh, the prices of crypto stuff can be way overvalued, even for stuff that is like like quality stuff. The vaporware stuff, oh my God, the number of things in crypto that have been pure vaporware that never materialized into anything useful outweighs the useful stuff by a wide margin. It's really pretty funny, actually. Um, which is like industry of vaporware. It, like, the, here, the reason is because like, there's never been a time in history that it was possible to release vaporware 
with so many promises and, and no actual expectation of delivery that people still pump your coin because everyone wants their number to go up. So they'll just jump on board and buy it, whether or not like it, um, you know, whether or not you actually produce anything <laughs> like at, at the end as a company. So yeah, like so many grifters in this space trying to like take advantage of that. It might mean something that Coinbase put on, put it on its exchange early. So that does lend some legitimacy, but at the same time, just because Coinbase picked it doesn't mean historically everything's done well. So like there's a lot of shit that's languished that's on Coinbase too. So I don't know how good of a, how good of an indicator. Coinbase used to be a little tougher to put projects on. It's gotten a lot easier apparently because last season, holy shit, there was some bullshit on Coinbase that made no sense whatsoever. So <laughs> be careful. Like, are you, are you putting tiny allocations into these type of things? Or are you going like heavy? Like, what are you doing? No, I just put a couple grand, like two, two grand um, in. And I, I, to be honest with you, I, I have an actually relatively tight stop loss right now because okay. uh, um, yeah, very tight, tight stop loss. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know about I would, when you're talking. The way I, I would recommend, the yeah. way I would recommend doing this is like not. So the stop losses get expensive because you just like these things dump a lot. So you tend to sell low if you put stop losses in. A different way to do this would be to say, um, like the much cheaper way to do this is honestly is buy way less like go and get like a hundred bucks worth when you're sort of teasing the position like like literally like just a, a teaser position and then only if things drop uh a lot you know 50 percent or more then you start getting some more and the reason why i say this is because if you look at the cyclicality of a lot of the coins right now there's a lot of stuff that's pulled back already there is almost no reason to be grabbing something that's high because there's so many good charts out there right now is the way to think about this. So the, if you pick something up, like get the, get the dollar position, literally like don't even get, and then don't even bother the stop losses. You have a dollar worth. You don't care if it goes to zero and only if it goes down low enough, you're going to get it um, is the, is the mindset I would, I would recommend going for early on. That stop losses things just end up wasting your money because then like that constitutes selling low and that assumes that you know the right price to buy the thing in the first place or whatever and we never do exactly so it's like what do we base the actual stop loss on if you're just only basing on, on your bag size not based on any fundamentals and what ends up happening is you just end up like selling low <laughs> that's what ends up happening you like like you said 10 stop loss 10 percent. because the thing in, in crypto like stuff will move 20 percent within one day just snap of a finger without even breaking a sweat so and then it'll pop right back up so then now you just got your stop losses hit and you just like sold low and the and the asset left behind left you behind so that can get nasty um so i would i would recommend instead pick the sizing that you don't mind if it goes to zero start there and like and then scale in as it goes lower as opposed to um yeah unless you happen to discover a coin because a friend or something said something already pulled back a lot um so that's that's a different situation yeah, okay. no, I, I, I guess you know typically what i'm attempting to do is i mean i i listen i totally get what you're saying regarding the uh the valuation of this coin uh, yeah, versus yeah. the outstanding coins that you know are possible of, of hitting the market, you know, based on whatever their 
you know, uh, documentation allows them to do. Uh, how, you know, but basically what I try to do is find a, you know, a, a pullback that, that um, seems to be basing and um, throw it underneath the base. And if, uh, you know, if that, if that base is actually, you know, hold, then I'm good. And if not, I'm, I'm stopped out. But yes, I totally do agree with you that a lot of these, you know, there's so much volatility in these coins that, you know, yeah, you, the, you the, find up the, the thing to memorize would be if you take something with the market cap of like Bitcoin, um, a pullback in a bull market usually runs something like 30% with a market cap that huge. Um, back when Bitcoin was much smaller, uh, like for example, the 20, you know, 15 to 2017 run of BTC, you'd see pull, you'd saw seven pullbacks of 40% on the way up as an example. Um, if you take anything smaller market cap than that pullbacks tend to be somewhere between like in the altcoin space they tend to be 60% routine uh, pullbacks. Like you don't even have to be surprised at all. It's just common. <laughs> like, in fact, you'd be, you'd be like weird not to even think that that's even weird. And then um, usually deep discounts are like closer to 80% or so. If you're in a bear market, like let's say you're at the very top of a bull market and you dump all the way to nether netherworld, most altcoins are going to pull back about 95% from the all-time high of a bull market all the way to the bear market bottom. Now, where we are in the cycle now is really more of early bull market vibes. Um, Bitcoin halving is coming up in April. You have um, like you have ETFs that opened up. You have like we already went through a one and a half year bear market or two year bear market, right? So we're we're cyclically we're we're on the uptrend, I think already especially based on 200 day moving averages and stuff. So now you can afford to make a lot more mistakes. You can buy all sorts of random shit. It'll go up. You'll think you're a genius <laughs> and, then, and everything will be fine usually. So even if you bought the wrong price here, I would be careful about doing stop losses and stuff because like you're going to get stopped out of your positions. And in, a, in, in the early bull market vibes, what you want to do is like just usually hold for the next 12 months and see what happens to so whatever you're picking up. You just hold it. That's what I would do. Anyway. Yeah, totally. I, I just, you know, I think if you pull back like 30% from its pump, uh, Coinbase uh, listing pump, uh, you know, and it's basing, you know, has the low of the base is about 5% from where it is now. And so, you know, if, if, uh, if this moons from here, great. And if not, I'm down 5% and, uh, and then I'll, I'll, then I'll start uh, doing what you're saying is, yeah, to put a, put an alert for, for, uh, you know, various, percentages down from here and start accumulating or or you know if 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 it seems attractive and i'll throw some money into link when it, i think i'll uh, keep an eye on the chart and buy a pullback yeah link here is pretty much at finished consolidation we talked about this morning mm, this pretty much is the beginning of the run for link so i think if you're going to bother with link around here is where you're going to bother with it um like Mm, the run from like 20 bucks to all-time high could be as soon as like within six months given its velocity right now so that would be like right now it's at 17 bucks 53 is its prior high um and it could run quite fast so i would say like most of the pullbacks and stuff that we were buying was the last several months where consolidation was happening it dipped about 12 bucks at the lowest it dipped to 14 a couple of times i picked it up a little bit more there and then, but it just broke out of its, of its like consolidation high of about 1760. 
and it's retesting that right now at 1770. Mm, so right now is probably not a bad spot to, for an entry for link if you if you're not in it at all. Um, so anyway, something to consider there. I don't know that it's going to drop a lot more than it is now. Um, if you yeah, if yeah, it drops to like if it does 14 bucks again, it's like straight lottery ticket. But if it drops to 14 again, it probably goes to 12 again. So that would be like the warning. But um, it depends on how the rest of the market's doing. So far, BTC is holding up, and so is the Nasdaq. So I suspect I'm my bias is bias is more bullish now than not. I suspect Link runs to about $32 by end of month is my suspicion. That's my that's my working theory for February. Well, again, thank you for your time. I got to um, jump drop yeah, down and I can take care of some things, but I really appreciate your, uh, cool. your entertaining my questions and, uh, and no, good, interesting, interesting yeah. questions and coins. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. Take care. Have a good one. Okay. Well, if anyone has any other comments or thoughts or whatever, hop on up. Um, we'll have some fun up here. Um, I was just looking to see if anything else like interesting was happening while we were talking. Mm. seems like um the alts have like slipped a little bit again just for today um looks like it's going to be a slightly down day link at 1770 injective 3324 mm. some of these coins that have run earlier look a little bit scary now as far as like their their chart patterns uh, injective would be a classic example. It looks like it's rounded off the top and might need to correct some. I don't know. Um, let's see. Yeah, neutron, same story. It looks like an inverse head and shoulders type of thing, so it might drop some. Um, let's see here. Um, fetch, same exact picture. It's sort of rounded. It was sort of decelerating on the way up and then kind of rounded off and looks like people have gotten bored of it now, so it needs to pull back maybe some more over the next few months. That's the thing. A lot of the stuff that has already run has sort of like questionable looking charts. Solana created kind of a bullish flag, broke out a bit, and um, if it sort of like breaks past 123, um, which is like resistance, it'll probably head off to its prior high of 260. I, again, don't know if it's going to do that. It's like, um, it's sort of like rounding off a top here as well. I don't know if Solana is going to drop again from to like 70 again or even to like even 46. It could like, it didn't even drop a full FIB level when it come, when it came to its pullback. So 123 was one of its FIBs for Solana. And let me look here. A 44% drop would be one fib level down, which would put Solana at $69. So I think like Sol at 70 would be a decent buy um, with at least like one fib level dip off its previous level. And then it could probably run from there. Um, but whether it's going to have enough strength to just keep on running to prior high, I guess it could. It's done shit like that last season, so I don't know. Um, but it could run to prior high and then just like take off, I suppose. Mm, but I would say like put an alarm for Solana at about uh, seventy bucks 
maybe 68, 71 is its fib, so like $69 would be a good target for um, Solana's as a new buy. Um, let's see what else is out there. We have, yeah, we talked about Kujira a little bit. Um, it's sitting right at its fib level now, so it's pulled back two fibs from the high. So if the high was $5.50, it pulled back to $3. and well, it's, it has a fib at like $3.10 or so, and it's at $3.1750 right now. So looking pretty good there as far as retracement. It hasn't picked up any sort of like capitulation volume, though. So I don't know if we need like some sort of giga dump in Kujira to like a buck ninety four to really bring in new buyers. But we'll see. It may hold up here. Um, apparently, there's one of the big holders of Kujira who was selling uh, pretty constantly. Uh, so Sumo was mentioning, and uh, that might be why it hasn't really kind of like taken off again. Um, that's fine. You need to have some of those people distribute, um, otherwise they're going to dump at you on you later. So sometimes you have to wait for the selling pressure to go by, you know, pass for a number of months, and then um, let all the selling finish off. Um, yeah, I mentioned earlier the Zephyr's charts looking beautiful. Um, like it bottomed out at ten dollars and ten cents or something like that. And it's basically the, the higher lows on its chart are parabolic at the moment. Um, it only made it back to like $13.10, but it's got a shallow parabola with a slow curve of it's putting higher lows every day, uh, which looks pretty bullish, actually. Um, you know, it's faked us out before, like at $17 level and capitulated down to 10 But I think that's probably the last capitulation, if I'm guessing. I think Zephyr is looking good here. And the Zephyr swap is coming out in uh, end of February. So the odds that people are going to pick up some Zephyr and ZSD or whatever so that they can uh, get some yield on the decks is pretty good. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if people are going to get Zephyr, make themselves some ZSD, and then use that to supply on the decks. for the set. Um, I believe there's like 0.7% fees on the decks, the new decks that's coming out. And those fees all go to the LP holders and um to support that network so that looks pretty interesting it's bullish for zeph as well because then people are less afraid that there's no decentralized exchange to offload their privacy tokens to other coins super super bullish for zeph in my view to have that capability there is no other serious privacy decks um on the planet today regarding um like that allow you to on-ramp and off-ramp something like a tether to a privacy token um of this type especially with a stable coin like zsd involved so i think it is unique and i think um the developers seem very serious in building this project i'd love to see how the technical implementation of that the zephyr swap dex goes but it basically creates a dex that operates similar to like a thor chain where you don't have like a um you don't have any centralized exchange or kyc involved basically very very cool stuff um anyway so that that's coming apparently by end of february so that's i think going to be bullish for the price action as well because people start posting more and more about the decks and you know there'll be some social media excitement and all that shit right so maybe that's a good time for zeph to do its next run 
So the next fibs for Zeph, like Zeph's uh, currently at $13. It's um, prior high was $52 before this pullback. It's really due for a run already in terms of timing. And then like the next level up on fibs is 130. The next level above that's 207. And then the next level after that's about $408 effort. 408 would put it at like the 1 billion market cap level, which for these types of projects is quite feasible to get to. Um, I'm hoping for like the 3 billion market cap level to be kind of a Monero competitor, which that would put it at $1,456, which is basically 100x from here. So, um, yeah, not a bad play in terms of risk, um, risk reward here, I think, for upside versus downside for Zephyr. Um, it previously broke out at like a $6 level. It's currently at 13 after it ran to 52. So the odds it's going to get back to six again are not great because like there's way more volume now than there was back then when it was a $6. So I think you have good support here overall. The fundamentals look strong for Zephyr. The use cases, utility are strong. The the new DEX is strong. And uh, the retracement of 80% is strong, which means that like um, it's not overvalued at this point. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of good bullish indicators if you guys haven't picked up any, any Zephyr yet. Cool stuff. Um, when you guys were trying to pop up here to speak, I couldn't, I guess you didn't connect or maybe they did accidentally, I'm not sure. All right. Um, there's this principle in like Taoism. There's this principle in like Taoism where it's like the more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want, like just inevitably it kind of starts to happen. There's this principle in like Taoism. Taoism, where it's like the more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want. Inevitably, it kind of starts to happen. Tripping on the bird app, listening to nerds slap, wondering why the fuck my timeline's so cursed. It's like everybody's holding heavy bags in Web 3. That's why they can't fly, they just drowning in the bird bath. Fishing for some dry powder, watch how we ignite the tower. Blowing up their bank accounts, forgetting how to fight the power. Y'all don't even realize how deep this shit goes. They preaching open sauce, but don't listen. To the code and now it's mutiny community uprise there's no more humility futility plus size motherfuckers leaking from the wrench down to the bare metal which side the line you bleeding out on when the dust settles motherfucking west side shit needle and noose sticking with my armory and beta and bruce repping psychedelic artistry believing the truth like these motherfuckers even need a reason to sue gm fam really worth all the effort is it really worth all the fighting Drama? And the answer, I think, is a clear no. We started using Zoom, now we finna zoom out. Teaching all these plebidites what this game's really all about. Little baby bitches when they choose to have fits. All you're left with is kibble when you lose all them bits. And that kibble's just sawdust. This shit is all rust. Not a great look, you're what we call all nuts. And I, for one, did not see that coming. Cracking open books, yo, that's a lot of money. Meanwhile, over here, rewiring features. More critical thinking, less knee jerk. More evolution, less shit coin preachers. Pretending to be teachers, y'all just predatory leeches. I mean, please, just look at the track record. A bunch of VC rap fucks sucking up the cheddar. The recipe is two steps rinse and repeat. Now we all in your butts and we bring in receipts. 
GM fam, have a seat. If you're listening to this, my, my plea to you would be like, don't have, don't, don't have to take a side on it. Just say like, is it really, is it really worth this war of attrition? It might cost us a lot more than what can be gained by like fighting this to the better end. And sometimes it's better to just like move on. Spaces.